Salutations. Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez, joined as always by my co-host, my husband and my brother. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. Hi, I'm Travis Hunter. This week, we're recording live from the Sunnyvale Rest Home discussing the 1983 horror anthology, Twilight Zone, the movie. This film was written and directed by a variety of people who I will credit on their individual segments. Despite receiving mixed reviews at the time of its release, Twilight Zone the movie carries on the themes and even remakes a few episodes of the classic TV show. While not all entries of this anthology are widely deemed as successful, and although the film is marred by tragedy, Twilight Zone the movie is beloved by many horror fans. This film was the winner of our April Patreon poll, so thank you to all of our patrons who participated and voted. If you want to help us pick an episode, join us over on the Patreon at patreon.com slash thepodmortem. So, what did you guys think of Twilight Zone the movie the first time you saw it? Uh, I remember this movie as a kid a lot. It was always very uh, good to watch. Like, it feels kind of comforting. Like, I feel like a kid again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, The movie does have a lot of fucked up shit going on in it, and it's weird and whatever. You know what I mean? But I do I do enjoy some of the later segments of it a lot more. And I do like, what do you call it? The overall story of it. Like Like the the frame. Right. right, The frame story of it. I did enjoy that. And that's something too. I also, that in the last segment, I remember like that as a kid, I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So this is like one of your nostalgic. Right. Right. But I, I, I tried to watch it and like uh, uh, as an adult watching it as an adult, I'm like, oh, my God, there's shit. I d-, you know what I mean? I clearly didn't remember or absorb as a kid. I was like, I don't know what's happening. You know what I mean? I, think <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Uh, but yeah, this was a, a very I don't want to say new watch, but a refreshing watch. OK. Uh, and I do still enjoy this movie very much. I'm glad I had not seen this film maybe until or at least remembered seeing the film because i'm sure we watched it as kids we did i have evidence that we did okay (laughs) (laughs) but i i didn't really remember that so watching it like maybe a couple years ago i was watching it what felt like for the first time right Mm -hmm. i think like all anthologies it's a mixed bag you're gonna have your segments that you enjoy a lot and then the segments that are like why is that yeah yeah (laughs) like uh especially one segment in here in this film that i was like i don't understand how this fits in with yeah well anything right Right. (laughs) (laughs) but i think that the idea behind it all is kind of brilliant when you're thinking about taking a beloved incredible intellectual property that everybody knows and loves Mm -hmm. and making an anthology film out of it kind of like i mean well i mean obviously not as beloved but you say like the vault of horror yeah Yeah. you take something that people are familiar with and the stories and everything i just think part of me is torn because i feel like the execution of it isn't as good as the idea behind it all right I know I have beef. It's re- it's very one-sided beef with Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> very one-sided. Mostly because he, he doesn't know I sleep. exist. <laughs> <laughs> but I do commend him on the attempt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I definitely feel like some segments are stronger than others. It's funny because the poll on our Patreon was anthologies. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple that I was like, oh, it's in the bag. Like, for sure, we're going to do those. And I was excited. And then this one. And I was like, I don't, I've don't. i never even seen this movie. 
and you guys were like, yes, you have. And I was like, no, I haven't. And then I started watching and I was like, oh, yeah, I yeah. have. <laughs> there's an opening and I mean, we'll get to it when we get to it. But there's something that's said in the opening. We had a family friend when we were very young mm-hmm. and we all watched this together and it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and so whenever he wanted to fuck with me, he would say that and uh-huh. I would... I guess run from the room screaming. I don't know. It traumatized me. And as soon as I saw them in the car, it was like, Oh, I was triggered. (laughs) (laughs) Having flashbacks. Yeah. But I mean, I think that even though you have like traumatizing memories, (laughs) (laughs) I do think that there is a lot to enjoy in this film. For sure. I think my issue with it is that it's, it's so split for me it is i mean i feel like it just depends on what you're wanting to get out of this and i see 1983 horror anthology and i'm like oh this is gonna be fucking cheesy this is gonna be fun but then you see twilight zone and you're like oh Oh. this is gonna be twilight zone so i feel like already like just in what this is your expectations are kind of split Mm -hmm. and so some of it is satisfying and I would say that some of it for me is not fully Mm -hmm. but as a whole I feel like it's a lot of fun and like you said I love that they did this at all yeah my thing is I I, when I think of the Twilight Zone because I'm a huge I love Twilight Mm -hmm. Zone we watched that growing up a ton too a lot yeah I think um, every tale kind of spins a yarn towards some kind of morale, yeah. you know, morality yeah. lesson mm-hmm. or something, or some kind of cosmic irony that you hadn't counted on, and then you know, it turns you're like, out, oh shit, yeah, you're the monster, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> you at home, but <laughs> I feel like some of that was missing here, and the change they changed a lot of a lot of the aspects of some of these stories because three of the stories are just flat remakes, yeah. Which I read in a Twilight Zone companion book. Thank you for letting me borrow it, Mom. (laughs) Uh, They had said that the idea was to do remakes because they said it would be more marketable. Because people know these stories and they'll go see see them. Part of me would have loved if they were original stories in the vein of the Twilight Zone. Even with little like winks and nods. Right, right. I think that might have been more successful for me. And all fairness, I mean, we can't talk about this film without talking about the elephant in the room. The tragedy. The tragedy Mm -hmm. that kind of not only changed the entire film industry, but changed the trajectory of a lot of people's lives. Yeah. also made it to where nobody was really interviewed about this film Mm -hmm. so the background on this film trying to find any kind of behind the scenes thing is very difficult no it was very yeah because nobody really wants to talk about it and And understandably so understandably so i will say that it does surprise me that this film exists at all yeah after you know everything that happened yeah but I do regretfully inform everyone that this has not in the slightest changed my mind about Steve Spielberg. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we show this film something really scary, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's fly. So the opening segment is prologue written and directed by John Landis. Before the film even properly opens over the logos, we hear the midnight special by Creedence Clearwater Revival. That was a shock. It was, but I like, I'm going into this thinking this is going to be like kind of cheesy, kind of campy. And hearing that I was like, Oh, I'm home. Like, (laughs) (laughs) 
But it comes up on a winding mountain road where a single car drives down with its headlights on. The car continues down the road while inside car driver played by Albert Brooks and passenger played by Dan Aykroyd sing along and dance. I was very surprised to see these two gentlemen. Both of them. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm loving were. it. I know. Absolutely. But I remember this is when I was like, oh, I know this fucking movie. Yeah. I didn't realize who they were when I was being traumatized as a child. Um <laughs> Albert Brooks and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. And I I will say that I think that you'd be less traumatized if you if realized who they were. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, these guys are, <laughs> you know, I do respect them for going all out on their names, though. Car yeah. driver and passenger. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, uh, I don't understand. Inventive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Innovative. But who's who? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to refer to them as Al and Dan just okay. to make things a little less clunky. Oh, right. Al, you guys are. Oh, we're, we're tight. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I call him Brooke. But oh, you know, you thought that'd be a little. I'll, yeah, too? I'll keep it professional. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they're singing along and dancing. They're tearing it up before the cassette gets eaten up and the black tape spills out of the tape deck. Are our younger listeners still with us? <laughs> they're like, so there, there were the things phone called cassettes. Died? <laughs> right, what? <laughs> Bluetooth wasn't working. Or? The it wouldn't connect. Uh-huh. Um, and then the the phone died. Okay, yeah, essentially. Right. Okay, now they get it. Right. <laughs> I will say I laughed really hard because the tape dies, and I can't remember if it was Albert Brooks or Dan Aykroyd, but it goes, "Let the bit," and it's it's, <laughs> it's it's dead silent. It's like, well, that's embarrassing. <laughs> You're about to belt it out, but they were fucking. Yeah, getting they it. were. But Al is pissed. That was a brand new tape. And when Dan suggests that they listen to the radio, he tells them the radio doesn't work. There's no entertainment out here. (laughs) (laughs) Dan finally surmises that they're just going to have to talk to each other. When they decide against small talk, as they already have... Uh, this is when I was like, is he a hitchhiker? Yeah. Yeah, I want to know. Because he's like, I already know where you're from. I felt like it was very... Not we talk all the time. He's like, no, I already know where you're from. Right. But I'm sorry if you're doing a duet with Credence. I feel like you guys have been friends for years. See that that's <laughs> what I, what confused me. No, yeah. that's the ritual after the song. They become friends. Oh, yeah. But the song right. didn't finish. So, so this is. Are still- you trying to? Are you telling me the midnight special is <laughs> is friendship? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. But Al has an idea. He turns to Dan and asks, you want to see something real scary? Dan says that he does. And Al says they're speeding along the winding road. Just imagine that one of the gravel beds up ahead knocks their lights out. To get them into the story, he shuts off the headlights, making everything pitch black. He keeps racing down the road and Dan is immediately uneasy saying that he doesn't know how safe this is. I know how safe it is. It's not fucking yeah. safe. Zero <laughs> percent. But Al continues his joke saying that there could be nuns on the road ahead of them and they wouldn't even see them. He says that he used to play chicken, seeing how far they could drive up a road like this before one of them, either the driver or the passenger says stop. Dan asks that he turn the lights back on and Al does, but only for a moment. He says more pebbles have flown up into the lights and now they're off permanently. (laughs) He's really building a uh, (laughs) submersion. Oh, there you go. No wonder you're best friends. (laughs) (laughs) He taught me that. (laughs) Dan says that this is dangerous and finally Al turns the lights back on. Dan says driving like this is scary enough and Al agrees saying that he likes it though. He asks if Dan wants to play trivia, TV theme songs, and Dan is down. This whole part of them humming the songs was fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I, look, I'll admit that I was laughing very hard. 
<laughs> but as it continued, I was like, did I start the wrong film? <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder if this was like uh, improv or they were like, just this is what y'all need to I do. I could totally see yeah, that. Yeah, just, just go with it. I feel like they they curb your enthusiasm to them. Right. You need Here's to cover where this. Yeah. <laughs> but get there however you feel. Right. <laughs> Because there's no way you wrote this down. Yeah. <laughs> but Al hums C. Hunt, Dan hums Perry Mason. They keep guessing correctly until Dan can't guess National Geographic. And yeah. Al's, it, it was very funny. Yeah. I intentionally went and looked up <laughs> <laughs> the theme song for National Geographic, and yeah. it was exactly how he claims. Yeah. <laughs> and I was dying. It, and it's his words that he's adding yeah. as clues, I guess. He's giving hints, man. Look at that fossil. Yeah. I was like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is fantastic. But then Al can't guess Hawaiian 5 but sings along with Dan while he's doing it. As I said, it is hilarious. They finally stop playing, and Dan asks if Al ever watched The Twilight Zone. And I'm sure, T, this is when you're like, oh, this is the right Yeah, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Everything's fine. They hum the theme before reminiscing about episodes, including Time Enough at Last, the Burgess Meredith one. It makes me cry every single time. That is so profoundly sad. Yeah. I will admit, I was very surprised. I found out literally yesterday, but Burgess Meredith, like he's obviously the lead in that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the same exact person that is like, there's time now. Yeah. That guy is also the guy that was like, you're a wrecking machine. Yes. And training Rocky. Yeah. Really? Yes. I'm oh, like, wow. what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Acting. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, what range? Yeah. <laughs> His name's Mickey. Yeah, that, that helps. Put some respect, okay? I'm sorry, the guy. He's like, I just trained I a boxer. Guy, right? <laughs> but fuck me, right? <laughs> but finally, Dan asks, you want to see something really scary? This was the line that would send me screaming yeah. from the room. Yes. Al says yes, but Dan's like, okay, but this is really, really <laughs> scary. He says he can't show Al while he's driving, so he needs to pull the car over, but it's only going to take a couple seconds. <laughs> I laughed really hard when he said to pull over because he's like, you'll kill us both. <laughs> so, let's, you're not yeah. about safety. I'm about safety. Put the car in park. <laughs> but utterly intrigued, Al pulls the car over. He turns to Dan and tells him to scare him. Dan asks if he's ready, and when Al gives him the go-ahead, he turns away from him. When he turns back around, his face is evil and demonic, and screeching, he grabs Al by his throat and shakes him. It sounds like he's been drinking Cougar Boost. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was scary was the way he pulled off the road. Why did he pull across like that? That is also, he's not about safety. Yeah. That's hilarious, because I didn't even, he was watching it yesterday to take notes, uh -huh. and he... He's like, why did he pull over like that? I was like, I did not even notice that. That is hilarious. Because he goes across the yeah, lake. He's just yeah, like, like you right. know, you <laughs> pull over a little bit. <laughs> you ever driven before, man? Yeah. I don't think so. You turn the lights on. Yes. No wonder he wants you to park. <laughs> exactly. like, no, I'm, just, like, like, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it cuts to the outside of the car and transitions into the Twilight Zone introduction narrated by Burgess Meredith. This, I love this opening a mm. lot. The opening is very good. I will say that it does not feel like Twilight Zone at all. I feel like for me going into this pretty fresh because I haven't I didn't even remember that I had seen this before. Right. It feels like this is our take on this. They were very 
fucking funny to me. Right. Oh, I was were. laughing out loud watching that. Yeah, yeah. And then it transitions, like, you're comfortable for a second. And to me, it was a little bit of a red herring because Al seems like a fucking psychopath. Oh, he yeah. does. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't him that yeah. we should have been afraid of. So it felt like this is the way we're tackling the twilight zone that's what it, it felt like this is our spin on it all right see i didn't watch it like that as a kid i watched more tells from the crypt okay um but Which is i great. but i oh yeah um <laughs> but i do remember that my cousins liked this a lot uh-huh and they would watch it and i would see it every now and then on tv but i do remember the movie so uh, I can see how if you love the show, you can tell the difference in the opening. Yeah. But I didn't watch it like that. So to me, I was just like, oh, shit, it's Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it's an attention grabbing opening. Yeah. It wouldn't. They you can't. Sometimes things, I guess, don't translate from TV to uh, right. film. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. In the right. And especially this time, this opening is so it's time yeah. uh-huh. that it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, so I mean, I guess my complaint is just that I. I love uh, Rod Serling. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. <laughs> Did we have any more thoughts about the prologue before we move on? Uh, real quick, was it just me or like when he when he's like, you want to see something scary, and then he turns around and he's a monster. Mm-hmm. I remember him looking more like uh, the monster in the crate from Creep Show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this was not that. No. no. So, <laughs> and it's it's funny because I I know I said at the top that it was like a fresh first watch or right, whatever. Right. But the more you talk about being scared by the opening, I remember you being scared by the opening. Yeah. And I think that I must have just flat out <laughs> blocked it out. No. <laughs> if it scared you at that time, I my brain probably. Like, I'm fucked. <laughs> yeah. And when I was watching it, I had texted John Paul while he was at work, and I was like, "Oh, I definitely remember this now." I was like, "I wonder if it's as scary as I remember." Yeah. And then I was like, "It it wasn't." No. <laughs> <laughs> if it was the crate monster, yeah, yeah maybe. But the first story is Time Out, written and directed, again, by John Landis. So this, I do want to call out as the only original one, right? Yeah. All the other three are remakes. Okay. And I saw a lot online that they said this was like a kind of repurposing of a Twilight Zone called Death's Head Revisited. Right. Mm -hmm. But that really has nothing to do with this at all. Okay. It's a lot more in line with one called Equality of Mercy. Right. And I can't talk about it until the end. Okay. All right, all right. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. But Burgess Meredith narrates, telling us that we're about to meet an angry man, William Connor. A car pulls up to a bar as the narrator continues to describe him as a sour and lonely man who is tired of seeing other people get breaks when he doesn't. His own blind hatred is about to catapult him into the darkest corners of the Twilight Zone. We live for it. Right. <laughs> I was like, ooh. Yeah. So Bill Connor, played by Vic Morrow, gets out of his car and walks into the bar. Immediately, he goes over to a table where his friends Larry and Ray, played by Doug McGrath and Charles Hallahan, sit. Did you recognize Ray from The Thing? Yes. Yeah. He was the one that was looking out the window and he was yeah. like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh goddamn. But <laughs> he's, I guess also he's the one with the chest. So yeah. I think that's probably more memorable. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I think he did something yeah. bigger yeah. than that, but okay. Yeah, well, it depends on how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> but I do also want to call out Vic Morrow as 
awful as his character is in this yeah he is a fantastic actor yeah no because i hated him in this yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah you're you gotta be a yeah. good actor but did you know that he was jennifer jason lee's father yeah and oh wow they actually look quite a bit alike and it was kind of striking watching this now mm-hmm. having watched uh the hateful eight somewhat recently yeah i was like wow man she was so great in the hateful yeah eight. she's fantastic she's great in everything yeah but we're not here to talk about <laughs> <laughs> that was a detour oh uh, yeah Oh, on Pod Morton? No, yeah. no way. <laughs> <laughs> but Bill tells them he can't stay long because his wife's relatives are visiting and he's pissed anyway. He didn't get the promotion and he calls the guy who did a Jew bastard. I was like, are we watching American Psycho right now? Yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ. So, yeah, he's racist too. Uh huh. Yeah. You know. But he tries to hit on the server that brings them their drinks and she's not having it. Having the audacity to tell him not to touch her. You know, what's wrong with her? So what's wrong with her? I was like, because she's like, don't touch me. And he looks like, like what? Yeah. I'm like, dude, fuck you. Doesn't, like, I, I've never hated someone so deeply, so immediately. Do you remember on Broad City when she's like, how am I? Yeah. In my head, I remember him saying, don't touch me. He's like, what the yeah, fuck? How, it's a completely. Yeah, I was furious already. So we got this dude, Bill. Right. Racist, misogynist anti-semitic yes i mean uh, this guy's a real jerk yep. yeah like, <laughs> yes. jesus dude i don't think i mentioned he literally pulls her into his lap yeah. yes i'm like disgusted already we've had like 15 seconds with this literally dude. Yeah. yeah but his friends try to get him to chill out but he goes on and on using more anti-semitic slurs he's like <laughs> it made me laugh because they're like well uh, have you been there longer and he goes so what if he's been there longer than it's me like, well then that's probably why <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's no why he got you fucking idiot <laughs> but people at the bar start to notice him freaking out and they turn around but but don't worry he's not done his <laughs> friends make racist comments about arab people and if you're still on board with him he drops the n-word hard r yeah i would like to remind our listeners that this movie is pg yeah. yeah i didn't understand <laughs> wow i don't know but it reminds me of poltergeist i was like did spielberg just have a hold on the ratings board i he just had a free pass yeah. i guess a man tore his face off <laughs> <laughs> they're like gee yeah <laughs> that's everybody could see that it look at some point in your life you got to see a man tear his face yeah, off all right it's I, a rite of passage yeah but his friends just laugh at him being fucking awful Finally, he says it's getting tougher every day to earn a living, blaming it on every other race, of course, except for white people. Or his own fucking shit. Yeah. Being a horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, like, that has nothing to do with it. But he starts to go in on black people again. And bar patron, played by Stephen Williams, yeah. who we just saw in the new It right. movies. Uh-huh. Maybe not just. I was like, that was yeah. a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> Time is a flat circle, man. <laughs> whatever but he looks like the same i was like holy shit but he comes over and very politely asks bill if he has a problem bill responds that he has lots of problems bar patron says that he doesn't care what they think but his table doesn't want to listen to it i thought this was yeah wow he's very chill incredible i was very impressed by bar patron because there were two there were two wolves inside of me (laughs) (laughs) one of those wolves was very much like go over there and beat the shit out of him right but then the second he went over there and very politely handled the situation i was like that's how you're that's you know exactly words yeah but bill's friends make apologies and bar patron sits back down with his friends 
They ask Bill if he's trying to get them killed, and Bill just continues with his rants even louder. Yeah, just leave, dude. Fuck yeah. off and just go yes. somewhere else. I was like, geez. I just don't understand. Like, after having that polite warning, I'd be like, okay, I'm on thin ice. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm also tripping. a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go home. Yeah. Bill says that he loves this country. He even fought for it in Korea, and then he devolves into racial slurs again. He sums it up that he really needed that promotion and he was counting on the money. He keeps ramping up, yelling that he's better than all the other races because he's an American. I think he's going to run. <laughs> <laughs> His friends tell him to chill out and bar patron does too. Even even saying please. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, this dude is fucking classy as shit because I would have I think I would have blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know you wake up there's blood on your hands yeah. <laughs> there's a dead racist in front of you <laughs> bill finally storms out and bar patron apologizes to larry and ray i guess for who bill is as a person yeah. he's like sorry about your boy well he did and yeah. i was like well <laughs> i felt bad because i'm like i'm sorry about your boy but i do hope he gets shanked in that alley yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it made me laugh that Ray, like, he's hearing all this horrible shit and chiming in. But then whenever Bill is starting to talk about his time in Korea, he goes, hey, hey, like, come on now. Yeah. It's <laughs> no, like, that's he, too funny. Yeah. Yeah. He has been, <laughs> been horrible. He yeah. started over the line. Yeah. So I don't know. No, it's unbelievable. But when Bill steps out to the street, though, it appears that he's in Nazi Germany, Flags with swastikas hang from buildings. And he looks around in disbelief until a car full of policemen pull up. I think because of what we hear later, I think this is Nazi-occupied France. Oh, that makes okay, more sense. Because yeah. I was like, why is that late? Oh, okay. Yeah. And then the other officer is like, yeah, I don't understand. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two officers, played by Renier Peets and Kai Wolf, get out and look like they're talking shit to Bill in German. Right. I think they're kind of like, what's the, you know, like yeah. Yeah. trying to figure it out. I will say the way that Bill's been acting when he saw these Nazis, I'm surprised he wasn't like, oh, a friendly face. Can you help me get back to that? (laughs) (laughs) They take his wallet, though, and are dumbfounded by the credit card inside. They're equally confused by his California license. They try to force him into the car, but he runs, narrowly escaping being shot by them before actually being shot in the arm. Well, hold on, though. Can we just real quick? Okay. What's up? <laughs> the slap the dude gives him. He like barely, like, I don't know, like he like swung his arm, but there was no force. But I, it was really weird. Like a limp hand he like threw at him. I don't. I'm unsure of he was his scared. combat I, training. Or, <laughs> I guess. I did laugh that. He pulls out like his straight up MasterCard. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, Fuss Fuss is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that just cracked me up. <laughs> but Bill hides in a pile of trash in the alley and they walk right past him, guns still drawn. They blow a whistle and run away. And Bill finally climbs out of his hiding place, holding his bleeding arm. Like he was fucking shot. Yeah. <laughs> when he called out, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's real. <laughs> Shit. I did like he's literally he's running from Nazis right now. Yeah, I did find the music to be a little playful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I on IMDb it says that it's Jerry Goldsmith. Right. He did the whole film. See, and that's what I was confused about as well because I I've read conflicting things that some people say that he did three segments out of four. Yeah, or... I, I couldn't find anybody else to no. credit with it. But and we we've you know praised, praised Jerry Goldsmith a lot for 
other films and this isn't bad but there are moments where the music is very whimsical when yeah. i feel like, like nothing whimsical <laughs> is happening no, not at all <laughs> The whistles continue and officers continue to yell. So Bill quietly lets himself inside of a building. He goes upstairs and when he hears voices coming from behind a closed door, he lets himself in. Two children sit at a table and a mother played by Annette Claudier drops a bowl of salad in surprise when she sees him. I don't know why we needed to see <laughs> yeah. all the salads business. Well, I mean, I'd want to know what they're doing there. Yeah. <laughs> right in. It's like tomatoes. huh? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. He tells her that he doesn't know what's going on and he needs help. But she immediately goes to her window and sees the German police running around outside. She calls to him in French that a Jewish man is here. I looked it up because I was like, what is she saying? Yeah. And when he can't convince her to stop, he just runs out. But he goes out of the room just in time for the police to see him when they're entering the building. And he runs back into the woman's apartment and barricades the door before climbing out of the window and onto the ledge of the building. I will admit that it was kind of funny to me to see him head back in and to see them just sitting on the bed together. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they had regrouped. Like, that this was a is lot. our house, you know. Yeah. <laughs> also, him being on the ledge is giving cat's eye. Yes. Which is the film that I thought was going to yeah. win the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hint, hint. <laughs> the woman cowers on the bed with her children while the police break the door down. They try to reach Bill on the ledge. One policeman even falls. Yeah. Maybe to his death. Dude, up to I the don't know. I laughed so hard because like he steps out for not even he gets one foot out. Yeah. And fucking banana Whoa. heels. It. <laughs> Just Alfita Zane. <laughs> and this is probably the most inconvenient ledge for trying to get away from people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because you literally it's not even a foot. It's like six inches on wi of yeah. windows on both yeah. sides. <laughs> But a huge group of cops pull up and start shooting at him, seemingly missing him on purpose to tease him. Right. They're like having a great time. But Bill screams as he twists away from the gunshots and ends up falling off of the building. He doesn't land on the street, though. He lands in dirt. And when he turns around and looks up, he's surrounded by KKK members, two of which, played by John Larroquette yeah. and Eddie Dono, stand in the forefront without hoods on. He's like, guys, thank God you're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These Nazis are chasing me. <laughs> but they identify him by calling him the N-word. Again, hard R. PG. But, yes. <laughs> <laughs> before grabbing him up and dragging him to a burning cross. They spot his gold watch and steal it, assuming that he stole it, really adopting the mentality that fucking Bill had at exactly. the beginning. Bill protests that he didn't do anything wrong, but is told that he's going to be hanged. They throw more anti-black racial slurs at him, but he protests that he's white. They hit him and throw a noose up onto the tree branch. This was like, kind of made my stomach hurt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got to admit, I did not anticipate this at all. No. And it kept going and I was like, how much yeah, longer? Yeah, can we cut? How much longer? <laughs> can we go back to Are we going to be in the South? <laughs> like, it was a lot. Very uncomfortable. But this is all that bullshit he's talking no, about. Absolutely. It's like, dude. Yeah, no, 100%. And can I say, after what he just experienced about 30 seconds ago in, in Nazi-occupied France? Yeah. And then he pops up here, which, by the way, great transition with that fall. It was yeah. really, yeah, it was that really, was very really good. good. But... He has not the time to realize or have any introspection about himself. He's still using the shitty ideology. But I'm yeah. white. <laughs> His defense is like, you guys don't get it. I'm white. Yeah. It's absurd. Yeah. 
But Bill continues to fight until he kicks one of the KKK members, causing them to domino into each other and for one of the hooded men to be caught on fire from the burning cross. This It's a great visual. Yeah. It is a great um, visual. I loved doing it in GTA 5 as well. <laughs> <laughs> Any film where a clan member gets lit on fire and, mm-hmm. and burns alive, it's I a think, beautiful sight. earns yeah. a couple points at least. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, this movie is sitting on two already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think every film should probably start doing it. <laughs> Find a way. Yeah. Do better. Turning red. <laughs> <laughs> he lays on the ground screaming as they put out the fire. But Bill just takes off, running down the street, holding his still bleeding arm. Like Dude, he has been shot. Yeah. Yeah, he got shot back in the 1940s. That's true. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Your body can't like, heal that Jesus yet. Christ. Wow, Bill. I thought you were superior. <laughs> <laughs> but the KKK comes after him with dogs, guns, and torches. Bill finally comes to a dock and jumps into a lake. They clearly see him swimming and open fire into the water. There was, I don't know if there was like a fight that we missed or something, mm-hmm. but I rewatched it last night and I will admit I was very tired, mm-hmm. but I'm like 99% sure that one of the clan members after he escapes in the water is like holding his dick. <laughs> well, he did, <laughs> he did kick one of them. Was so that maybe, the... I mean, maybe, yeah. I don't know. Okay, but I was like, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> We're fighting, man. We're fighting. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah sorry. Wires crossed. Yeah. I, gotta, I gotta switch gears. <laughs> He's one of the kids from Silent Night, Deadly Night. He's all all fucked up. It's all tangled. (laughs) But Bill dives under the water to avoid their gunfire. When Bill comes back up, he's no longer in the lake being shot at by the KKK, but in the jungles of Vietnam. He hides when he hears voices calling and men run by him. But a snake swims right up into his face. And Bill is just like stricken with horror, but the snake then just swims away. I was yeah. like, why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I mean, it's bad out I here, like, man. Uh, fucking bite him in the face. Yeah, I had hoped, but... But an American army troop <laughs> <laughs> wades into the water, smoking and playing Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix on their radio. I'm like, aren't y'all supposed to be keeping a low yeah, profile? Yeah, it's, it's just like, like, now, 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 now. It's like, all right, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but it did make me laugh because I'm like, well, it's usually fortunate son. Yes, it is. But we did have some CCR already. Yeah. <laughs> like we don't want to double we'll up. We'll switch it up, switch it up. But when he hears this, Bill comes out of his hiding place. They tell him to stop and point their guns at him, but he keeps running toward them, happily proclaiming that he's an American. Again, how have you not put together the pieces of this puzzle yeah. yet? After again, all you've it's been happened through. It's happened twice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this time, third time's a charm. <laughs> But the troop immediately opens fire, literally firing in every direction, and Bill is no longer there. So I learned, because you see the leaves get ripped to shreds. Yeah. I learned, according to Richard Sawyer, he was the production designer on this, on Cursed Films, he said that they pulled Vic Morrow out of the shot, like you see him kind of rush yeah. away, yeah. and John Landis insisted on them using real bullets. I'm, oh, wow. Oh, God. Like... <laughs> It's it's Why? just it's just this weird era of Hollywood at the time where it's like you can get away with fucking It was a fucking yeah. free for all. It's yeah. so appalling to even think about. And danger like beyond dangerous first of all, but when you think about that now, that like literally if you heard in 2022 Oh, we pulled an actor out of the way and then fired real bullets like yeah. where they were to like not even a second ago. That director wouldn't work anymore. Never no. again. Like it would be it would be done, but in 1983 I, I don't know what was going on. And that's not that long ago. No. And I have to say, I wish that that was the most the most dangerous thing that John Landis did yeah. on the shoot. But we'll get to that in a minute. We will continue. 
one of the men calls out that he told them they shouldn't have shot Lieutenant Niedermeyer. I don't know what that means. Yeah. I found out what that means. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) In Animal House. Oh, which John Landis Which John Landis, yes. At the end, everybody, it's one of those 80s movies. And so it's almost like on the end of Mallrats where it's like fucking Jason Lee is hosting The Tonight Show now or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Where they give you like little updates. Right, right. They say that Niedermeyer, who was a character in the film, went to Vietnam and I think he's a piece of shit in the movie. And so they say he got killed by his own troops. Uh, (laughs) So he put a nod to his own movie and this one. Yeah. What the fuck? Apparently, there's some line that John Landis uses in every film about, I'll see you something Wednesday or whatever. Right. He put that, one of the German soldiers says it in German. So he's just like patting himself on the back. Yeah. That's actually kind of clever. Well, I uh, mean, it's better than him. Like, Not that we stand John Landis in no. this house, but uh, yeah, I was like, what the fuck? I guess <laughs> if you haven't seen Animal House, it really just made yeah. no sense. No, it doesn't. Sense. And now all my homies hate John Landis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But they shush him, and another man pulls a grenade from his pocket and tosses it over to where Bill was hiding. Was it a real grenade? And <laughs> I, wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. At this I don't point. even know. But it explodes, and Bill is blasted back to, I guess, Nazi-occupied France. He walks past a huge building with Nazi flags over it and is immediately shot at by the SS that are standing outside of it. He goes down, and when we see him again, he's limping down the street, being carried by one officer on either side of him. They slam him against the wall and he asks where he's being taken and demands to speak to their commanding officer. Okay, Karen. (laughs) But he shuts up when one of the officers slaps a star of David onto his chest. I don't know how how thick headed Bill is that he he's not yeah. like, oh, all that racist shit that I was just saying five minutes ago. Uh-huh. I'm being put in all of their shoes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. How do you not? He's I, just like, but I'm a white American yeah. man. I, I just don't. I don't. Man, I don't think uh, racist. They're not <laughs> don't smart. Think. Okay. <laughs> like, that's that's kind of what drives them. Got it. Got it. Got is it. Is their uh, foolishness. Yes. But he's thrown onto a freight train and locked inside. He looks up at a group of people with the same star on their chest and they look down at him sadly. He stares at them for a moment before looking out of the train through the wooden slats. Out of the train, he sees the bar that he left his friends at. Ray and Larry step outside and seem to be looking for Bill. He screams their names Skinner style, I'm in here. <laughs> yeah. But they're unable to hear him. He keeps telling them, it's me. But the train pulls away, leaving Larry and Ray laughing with each other outside of the bar. Bill continues to scream while the other passengers stand quietly and we pan up to the darkness of the night. So this is a frightening ending. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like seeing the shot of them through the slats is not only terrifying, but it's kind of brilliant it is oh you know what would have been really cool it's just popping in my head Hmm. if he sees out of the slats of the the train that maybe he got hit by a car or something oh yeah and larry and ray find his body and he's in hell just Uh, having to do wouldn't that be cool that would be cool put me in coach (laughs) (laughs) i will say and uh this is gonna be not really it's gonna be an open-faced compliment sandwich not open face. So well, because there's a there's a lot of meat in this one. So there's gonna be a small amount of bread, what I'm going to say right now, which is You're cutting carbs. Say yes. <laughs> it is a lettuce wrap. <laughs> um but I feel like 
this is what I had in mind for a Twilight Zone movie. Yeah. Where you have it to where it is an original story for the most part, taking ideas from the series and creating something that has a bit of comeuppance and cosmic irony. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like that's what I wanted. I do want to talk very quickly about Equality of Mercy, which you'll understand why people might think that they're somewhat related. Mm-hmm. Because Inequality of Mercy, it's World War II. And what it is, is it's a group of American troops and their commanding officer is trying to get them to fire on a cave that's full of wounded Japanese soldiers. Oh, my God. And so they're overlooking it on this ridge. And then the dude drops his binoculars. And when he picks them up, he is a Japanese soldier. And then he's talking to his commanding officer and he's like, what the fuck? You know, he's so confused. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what's going on? And they're like, well, there's American troops in that cave and we're going to fire on them. He's like, well, yeah. no, no, don't do it. And so it's like he sits in their shoes for like five minutes, comes back to himself and the bomb has been dropped. And so they're pulling back and not attacking the cave. Mm-hmm. But he realizes, fuck, you know, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. He has a an epiphany. Yeah. Right. So you see that, like the DNA of that in this. But the epiphany. Yeah, I was going to say, Bill doesn't have an epiphany. Exactly, yeah. But He's like, he, but I'm white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the difficulty is that he was supposed to. Okay, and we didn't get yeah. that far. Exactly. Okay. I guess now is as good a time as any to discuss the tragedy that happened mm-hmm. while shooting this. There's a Cursed Films about it on Shudder. Definitely recommend watching the episode. It really details what led up to this, I will say, senseless tragedy yeah. that claimed three lives for really no good reason. So for those who don't know, um, I don't know how much detail we want to get into here because, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to keep it light. Yeah. yeah. But um, keep it funny. We're- right. <laughs> There's a, a redemption arc that's supposed to happen for Vic Morrow's character. And when he's in Vietnam, he's supposed to rescue two children. Right. Mm-hmm. And I guess John Landis had envisioned this really crazy scene where there's a helicopter and there's these explosions and it's all happening. I mean, I, I guess they were filming it at like 2 AM, right? Yes, they were. And you can't have children legally out here doing all this shit, especially at that hour, you know? So he, I guess had the idea that he was going to just under the table, hire some kids, Mm -hmm. which he did. Mm -hmm. And they did the stunt and, Again, this is extremely dark, but the all three of them were killed. Vic Morrow and both of the children. The children's names were Micah Din Lee and Renee Shin Yi Chen, because I feel like people don't say that part right. a lot. No, they don't. Um, but this was one hundred percent avoidable. Absolutely. Unnecessary. And really, I mean, from especially after watching that cursed films, it kind of seems like one person was responsible for mm. all of this happening. I don't I I don't necessarily know if it's fair to put all the blame on one person, but I think it was a colossal systemic failure Mm -hmm. of the production in general. When you're the director, you're the one calling action as well. Yeah. And so you bear a decent amount of responsibility, Um, any kind of safety protocols. And they've really strengthened safety protocols on set following this incident. There's the only real good thing that came out of this tragedy is that sets should be safer yeah but uh i do think that there is a i don't want to say a shadow over this segment there is um 
in the fact that it's a little baffling to me that it's still in this. I genuinely, I was talking to mom and dad and I said that I, after knowing the entire story, what happened on set during the filming of this segment, I would have thought that this film would be prologue, this one's cut, and three segments. Yeah. Yeah. Or, Or a new one. Yeah. Yeah. But from everything I've read, John Landis has never really taken accountability for what happened. No. Um, he did go to trial and mm-hmm. was acquitted. Yeah. Him uh, and several people. It's, uh, oh, wow. it's, it's, it's fucking insane. Again, like you said, something that would never happen today. Right. One would um, hope. And he spoke at Vic Morrow's funeral. He did. And <laughs> insisted on speaking and was saying like he lost his life, but film is forever, which... <laughs> I, I mean i don't really have words for it it's it's wow yeah um all my homies hate john landis <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's 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 crazy i mean i feel I, we couldn't just do this and not talk about it right, no. right. i also don't want to spend too much time talking about it because i'm surprised that it's in this at all but i'm also surprised that it's the first segment yeah. i don't yeah. know well from what i understand they filmed the prologue then they filmed this one and obviously what happened and then they had to come back and film the other three segments. <sighs> According to Joe Dante in that Twilight Zone companion book, he had said that if Steven Spielberg wasn't involved in this production, the entire production would have just been shelved. Oh, wow. That makes sense. They said that makes sense. That um, Warner Brothers just really wanted to release a Spielberg film. <laughs> and so they came back and finished everything. And there is a, I don't want to, you know, be kind of like a dick or anything, but yeah. there is almost a feeling of lackluster involvement in Spielberg's segment, which kind of makes sense. It's not on par with what he's done in the past, I no. would say. And you can kind of understand why. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just like shit. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, we can leave it there. We can say rest in peace to Vic Morrow, Micah Denley, and Renee Shen Yichen mm-hmm. because absolutely senseless and utterly tragic just unimaginable yeah i think the thing that is very upsetting is that obviously none of this needed to happen Mm -hmm. but if that part would have been completely left out and we take that out of the segment completely it's fine without having done any of it that's what was fucked up to me when i was watching this knowing what happened you didn't even need that no it just sucks and i'm sorry if you didn't know about that because when i i was thinking about it the entire time I was watching it. And yeah. I think you can't if you know, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the next story is Kick the Can, written by George Clayton Johnson, Richard Matheson, and Josh Rogan, and directed by T's BFF, Steven Steve Spielberg. Spielberg. Wow. <laughs> I, will I like s- that you just call him Steve. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about... Maybe it is about disrespect. <laughs> All I'm, I, I haven't seen Jaws. Maybe that'll change my mind. But I will say that I do commend him on bringing in George Clayton Johnson and Richard Matheson on this mm-hmm. because they were very prevalent writers on the Twilight Zone yeah. series proper. Right. And so for him to bring them into the production is like a show of respect Respect for that you don't that I'm not doing. <laughs> But Burgess Meredith's narration comes back to tell us that it's said that where there is no hope, there is no life. He provides evidence in the form of the residents of the Sunnyvale Rest Home for whom hope is just a memory. But, he says, 
Hope has just checked in as an elderly optimist who carries his magic in a shiny tin can. Okay, that's giving a lot away. (laughs) (laughs) Usually Rod Rod Serling was a little more subtle. (laughs) I think this one's going to be really scary. Oh, yeah, I'm horrified already. (laughs) But inside the Sunnyvale Rest Home, a man teaches a group of elderly people about what each vitamin does for the body. A lot of them do not seem to care. Mr. Mute, played by Peter Bracco, even blows bubbles, but most of them perk up when he says that vitamin E can help them maintain a healthy sex life. They're all like, what was it? <laughs> no, that caught me off guard. <laughs> <laughs> vitamin what? Is he fucking Grandpa Simpson? <laughs> <laughs> With the tonic. Revitalizing tonic. It's <laughs> like, oh my God. Did you know that STD rates in nursing homes are Oh like- yeah, no, they be fucking. <laughs> they well, what do. else they got to do? Right, there? let them enjoy themselves. M- Matlock, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of the men are distracted by the sound of children's laughter outside. Mr. A.G., played by Murray Matheson, tells Mr. Bloom, played by Scatman Crothers. Yes. I was very excited to see Dick Halloran. Dude, and he's just a couple years removed from The Shining. Yeah. yeah. I read somewhere that Spielberg visited Kubrick on set. It might have been Entertainment Weekly, but I think that that's where he met Scatman Crothers and wanted to cast him in this. All right. And we love Scatman Crothers. Yeah. Yeah. But Mr. Ag tells him that the man standing outside is Leo Conroy, played by Bill Quinn. He says that Leo's son is in real estate, and we look out the window as Leo follows his son and daughter-in-law, played by Alan Halfrecht and Cheryl Socher, down the walkway. He carries a suitcase in each hand and reminds his son that he told him he could come visit this week. But his son's like, oh, this is bad timing this week. Sorry. His daughter-in-law says they have to go now because they're late for a game. And Leo's son tells him again, maybe next week, before kissing him on the cheek and leaving with his family. Poor guy, man. It's like, God damn. And I love, he's like, bad timing, but let's go do something that we really don't have to do. (laughs) (laughs) We were going to catch a movie. so Maybe wait. He had his suitcases. It's so fucking sad. And if you told him, you're the asshole. Why would he pack if he wasn't told? Yeah. Yeah. But back inside, Mr. A.G. tells Mr. Bloom that every second Saturday, Leo comes down with those suitcases, and every second Saturday, he goes back upstairs and unpacks them. Later, Leo walks through the recreation room where everyone else is having a good time. There is one thing I do want to call out about Leo standing there with his suitcases. Mm -hmm. When he's standing there, there appears to be a piece of litter behind him, Uh looks suspiciously like a can. And then it's and gone. And then it's gone. Yeah. And so what I thought was they were going to be more in line with the TV show, Kick the Can. Mm-hmm. Tw- the TV show episode of the Twilight Zone, Kick the Can. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a TV there was. show. <laughs> that was a game <laughs> show. called Kick the Can. <laughs> it's very easy to win. But no, they they really went their own way with it. And for me, I'll just... Flat out well, maybe yeah. at the end you can refresh us on the Twilight Zone episode and we can see what's different. I will. <laughs> <laughs> but Leo yells that the kids outside need to keep it down because they're old and they need their rest. Mrs. Dempsey, played by Helen Shaw, rebuts that they're just kids and they're having fun. In fact, she wishes she could go play with them. Mr. Bloom smiles and asks why she doesn't, and Leo interrupts because she's old. I'm <laughs> like, like, God damn, we asshole. get it. Yeah, we're all here. We dude. are old. Yeah. yeah. But Mr. Bloom tells Leo that you're never too old to play. He says that when he rests, he rusts, which I thought was cute. Pretty good. Leo asks if this is his first time in an old folks' home, and Bloom says no. He's been in six or eight of them. 
He bypasses Leo and asks Mrs. Dempsey if she could go out and play with them tonight, what would she play? Mrs. Dempsey says she used to love all kinds of games, especially Jack's. Mrs. Weinstein, played by Selma Diamond, chimes in that she was the elementary school Jack champion. <laughs> Mr. Weinstein, played by Martin Garner, watches Jeopardy with Mr. Ag and plays along, but gets annoyed when Mr. Ag keeps giving correct answers while he's still thinking. <laughs> Sorry to derail the episode of Jeopardy, but <laughs> <laughs> I did want to call out Murray Matheson, yeah, who's Mr. playing Mr. Ag. He was the clown in the Twilight Zone episode, Five Characters in Search of an Exit. <gasps> oh, shit. Oh, I love that one. It's a great one. Oh, it's so good. But yeah. So again, being reused from. Yeah. That's very cool. Oh, yeah. I like that a lot. And I will say that I would be a little suspicious about Bloom after saying that he's been to eight different nursing homes. Yeah. yeah. I'd be like, what happened, man? Yeah, that's what I was like, damn. <laughs> You've been kicked yeah. out? Yeah. Or <laughs> no, we asked the question. Yeah. Like, I'm very concerned. But Mrs. Dempsey says that if she could tell her body what to do now, she would dance. So Mr. A.G. goes over and asks her to dance with him. She's thrilled, but when she tries to get up, her back hurts. Miss Cox, the nurse, played by Priscilla Pointer, gives Mr. Mute a puppet, and he sits on the couch and plays with it quietly. Now, Priscilla Pointer was, I think the year after this, became Steven Spielberg's mother-in-law. That's right. Yeah. Because she's... Uh his wife's mother. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> that's typically how it works. I was trying to remember her name. Because, Sue Snell? Am I wrong? No, that's the name of the character from fucking... I think that's <laughs> the character Carrie. she played. <laughs> but it was the character his future wife played. Right, 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 right. In the motion picture. <laughs> Brian De Palma's Carrie. <laughs> Amy Irving. There you go. All right. All right. That was going to be a bad day. <laughs> Even though I have a phone right next to me. I yeah, you could have used it. Yeah. But Mrs. Weinstein starts reciting an old childhood rhyme and Mrs. Dempsey starts singing along with her. But Mr. Weinstein has had enough. He chastises his wife, telling her she's lived a full life and not to get sloppy now. They all gather together and Bloom distracts him by asking what he was like as a young boy. Mr. Weinstein says that he used to climb on everything like a cat. <laughs> Leo's like, well, I like being old. <laughs> Why he, is he so yeah. And he says that his son promises to have him frozen. But Mr. Weinstein tells him he's already frozen and calls him Popsicle Head. And everyone laughs. Mm, it's all right. Well, yeah. Except for Leo. It's <laughs> yeah, he's like, that's not fucking funny. <laughs> Mrs. Dempsey asks what Bloom's game of choice was. And he says it was. Does anybody have a guess? Kick the can. Oh, <laughs> I would have said Scrabble. But. Yeah, I thought. <laughs> he's like, well, I used to talk to my grandmother with our minds. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Yeah. That was cool. But you're not ready for that game yet. <laughs> <laughs> but she says that that was a boy's game and remembers that her husband was the most gentle man, but he loved that game. <laughs> but he could kick the shit out of a can. <laughs> <laughs> Put a can in front of him. God damn, I didn't recognize him. <laughs> Leo is annoyed again, telling them it isn't healthy to dredge all this up. But Mrs. Dempsey and Mrs. Weinstein start with their rhyme again and remember how simple life was when they were young and people took care of them. There's nothing wrong with dredging this up. No. It's reminiscing. Leo is tripping. Yeah. But Leo says that they take good care of them here. Mrs. Dempsey says that she had toys and friends when she was young. But Leo's like, you have toys here to last the rest of your life. What? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you see that puppet? The Mr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he says that Bloom is just trying to make friends by stirring everyone up. 
Bloom says that the day they stop playing is the day they start getting old, start watching the clock and waiting for the days to count down. He says they always used to have something to look forward to another day, another summer, another game of kick the can. He laughs and everyone laughs with him except Leo. (laughs) Bloom starts upstairs and asks who's down to play a game of kick the can because he's getting one together. (laughs) (laughs) I laughed very hard because he says kick the can and they all laugh. And then it looks like he's just leaving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess, that's, I guess that's it. He's like, well. You're supposed to leave them laughing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Following the rules of show business. Well, that's my time. Yeah. Thank you. Tip your, <laughs> <laughs> Tip your waitress. Yes. But Leo is furious. How dare he ask them to risk what little rest of life they have to go out and play? He's making everyone sound so brittle. Yes. I don't care how old you are. You can probably kick a can. Probably. Yeah. It's an empty can. <laughs> yeah. It's not full of soup or anything. <laughs> like, I, I'm 30. I break a down. toe. Yeah. <laughs> but Bloom reminds Leo that life is a risk, and he's not asking anyone to do anything that he's not doing himself. He says that maybe if they play, they'll get a hold of the magic they've been missing. Again, this is a little heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? Maybe something might happen. <laughs> but Leo says that their bones, lungs, and hearts are all old. Mrs. Dempsey says that the nurse will never allow them to go play because it's against the rules. But Bloom's like, did rules ever stop you when you were a child? He takes a can out of his vest pocket. Okay. It's yeah. <laughs> a big ass can. Yeah. I don't, that was probably very uncomfortable. <laughs> He's just sitting there. What's that lump in your shirt, yeah. man? Well, later I'll, I'll tell I'm you. I'm the game together. Yeah. I'm building to it. <laughs> he starts polishing it. He says that this old man still has a little magic left in him. And he promises everyone that he will all make them feel like children. <laughs> I'm going to be honest at this point. Because they've already taken it in a different direction. I thought Bloom was the devil. Okay. All right. John Paul, we were going back and forth about this last night. Yeah. And I'll, we'll talk about it at the end. Okay. Yeah. Because I got judged for what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. But Leo, ever the optimist, says that Bloom is making promises that they're not going to be able to keep. <laughs> for the optimist. <laughs> but Bloom says he wants to see Mrs. Dempsey dance and he wants to see Mr. Weinstein climb. They're going to break the rules and they can't have anything taken from them that they haven't lost already. Mr. A.G. asks when they're playing and with a smile, Bloom tells them tonight, tonight, tonight. I was like, <laughs> okay, yeah. yes, I was, I was kind of getting scared of him, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> You've got a real weird energy yeah. right now. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're new here, but man. But Leo's like, well, don't bother waking me up. <laughs> like, bitch, nobody wants you yeah. to come play you're with You're not us. invited. So <laughs> yeah, no shit. You can't we sit with weren't us. going to. <laughs> Bloom heads upstairs and everyone but Leo watches him with a smile on their face. That night, Bloom tiptoes past Leo, who's asleep in his bed, to wake up AG in his own bed. I'm like, are they all sharing a room? It appears that way. I do have to say now it just hit me, but in a fucking segment about the elderly and youth Uh and recapturing and all that stuff, we said some stuff was on the nose, but to have a character named A.G.? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then he wakes up Mr. Old. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of a lot. But when he wakes up Mr. Mute, he gets a flurry of bubbles in response. They all tiptoe outside, minus Leo, of course, mm-hmm. giggling. Mrs. Dempsey holds on to her cat as they line up. 
Bloom gives his can one more polish before dropping it onto the ground. It's going to get dirty in a minute, guy. Anyway, (laughs) um, but he turns and counts to 10 as the rest of them run and hide. It was at this point I realized I do not know how to play kick the can. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't know what was going on. I thought you're just supposed to kick Kick the the can. can. (laughs) It's like whoever kicks it furthest. I don't know. I had a very rough idea. I thought it was more like hacky sack where you just kind (laughs) of... Oh, I guess. kicked it back and forth. it never yeah. left the ground don't get me wrong but I was gonna say I don't think I don't yeah, think that's like, possible oh, I got, that can had an edge <laughs> still had the lid on it yeah goddamn. <laughs> time out <laughs> that's how you lose I guess I guess whoever bleeds first loses. <laughs> they drew first blood <laughs> <laughs> But Bloom finds A.G. immediately. But as they joke, Mr. Mute takes this opportunity to kick the can and Bloom is it again. Again, I don't uh, understand these rules. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's also a game of tag? I don't know. I don't, it's hide yeah, and seek and tag yeah. featuring a can. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. The can is the <laughs> central the to course. all of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see how you're not getting this. <laughs> Everyone is having a blast, laughing and yelling as we see Leo asleep in his bed. But their voices suddenly transform from their normal voices to those of children. And in his sleep, Leo mutters, damn kids. Back outside, we see that they're running around and playing, but they are children. Young Mr. and Mrs. Weinstein, played by Scott Neems and Tanya Finmore, realize this first and Bloom, still an old man, looks at them smiling. He tells them to go play. Young A.G., played by Evan Richards, runs by using his cane as a sword. Now, don't <laughs> ask me why he's a fucking teenager yeah. and the rest of them are small children because I do not know. I, I don't know I either. I was confused about that, too. I was like, why didn't they all age the same? I don't know. And this kid is definitely not British. No, <laughs> no, yeah, no, he's no. not. <laughs> and young Mrs. Dempsey, played by Laura Mooney, giggles as she holds on to her cat, which is also a kitten again. Well, I, <laughs> I mean. Like, the cat didn't kick the can. <laughs> The cat ate what was in the can. (laughs) (laughs) Young Mr. Mute, played by Christopher Eisenman, watches as Mr. Weinstein climbs up the side of the building. Mrs. Dempsey and Mrs. Weinstein swing together until A.G. runs over and picks Mrs. Weinstein up, running away with her. Now, they were kind of flirting in the nursing home. And so I was like, "Uh, A.G., you can't do that shit. And Mr. Weinstein was ready to whip some ass earlier. Well, yeah, Yeah. he was. It's like, Mr. A.G., buzz in. Who is about to get their ass kicked? That's my final fucking answer. <laughs> Wait, that's who wants to be a millionaire. Uh, that's my final Jeopardy. <laughs> and I'm waging it all. All of it. Yeah, yeah, every penny. But Mr. Weinstein calls down from the building for AG to let go of his wife. See, I told you. <laughs> they all run playing together as Bloom looks on and smiles. Mrs. Weinstein sings her song while she jump ropes and whimsical music plays as AG and Mrs. Dempsey finally share a dance. They all take to being kids without the sheer horror that it deserves. Yeah. No, I, I'm 32 and, and I, I would, would be fucking oh, no, terrified. Yeah. I've had nightmares of being a kid again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, am I starting over? Is it the 90s again? Is it, yeah. I have so many questions. Yeah. And can you imagine? God damn. If you're like fucking like 10 years old and 20. 22 whatever year it is that yeah. <laughs> i mean that i have sucks. a 10 year old in 20 yeah. yeah i apologize too. i don't know they have like tablets and shit dude i feel like they kind of they got it made my poor niece and nephew yeah. <laughs> bloom takes a seat and watches them applauding and smiling 
AG runs over to him and says that he doesn't mean to seem ungrateful. I don't mean to seem ungrateful. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> but, stage production. <laughs> <laughs> but he wants to know why Bloom didn't go with them. Bloom admits that he learned a long time ago that he only wants to be his true age and just try to keep his mind young. This is where I almost thought it was going to take a sort of Pennywise turn. Yeah. Because you have this old man who is seemingly going to different. He's been to eight. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And if he's like tricking these old people into being young again Mm -hmm. and it's very easy to do because youth is very enticing. Exactly. And now that they are youths, now he can eat them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's like, you know, he tells them that all their wishes came true and their children again with their whole lives ahead of them. But I feel like that messaging has the, it's giving, well, this is what you wanted, right? It's like monkey's paw. I don't know. I was like, we'll talk about it. Well, no, because it does, it feels almost like, again, a deal with the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's like, oh, I thought you wanted to be Yeah. Children. That's what you asked yeah, for. Yeah. So what's this shit? Yeah. You nobody <laughs> nobody told you to kick the game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fake British bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but Mrs. Dempsey whines that it's cold and she asks who's going to take care of them. Mrs. Weinstein says that she and her husband can just go to their son and tell him who they are. AG tells them to think everything over. Being young again means having sex again. I'm like, no, these are babies. Dude, he literally, he goes, I'm trying to remember the exact line, but he's talking about like all the stuff that they can do as kids. And he's like, we're talking about sex. And I'm like, no, we're not. (laughs) Nobody's your age here. dude. Nobody wants it. And then he winks. Yeah. You need to chill. Yeah. Yeah. This dude. And put a fucking shirt on. Yeah. (laughs) You don't need to be blasting them nips. Like nobody's. I just don't get it. And I, I laughed out loud because I was like, oh, so I guess Mrs. Weinstein just always talked like that. Yeah. yeah. We'll go to our side. Like, yeah. well, dear You're little speaking girl. like an old lady. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they just were like, be like her. Yeah. Copy probably. her. But Mrs. Dempsey is heartbroken. Her husband isn't here and now she'll never meet him. She's devastated when she realizes that in her transformation, her wedding ring fell off. She didn't ask to turn young again. She only wanted to dance. She can still be old and dance, which that is all she asked for. It's very true. Mr. Mute says that he's not going to school again. Mrs. Weinstein remembers her father's death and seeing Haley's comment when all the kids were told to go outside. She says that she doesn't want to lose all of her loved ones again. This is confusing to me because aren't they young again now yeah. or are they starting over? Like it's all very muddled. Wait, but then what a, does that mean their family? All, but then that would mean she yeah. can meet dude again, not the boxer, whatever she said, but she can yeah, meet him. No, Jack Dempsey, husband. not yeah. the boxer. Yeah, so, but if. But now she, but she's saying like in this timeline, he's already dead and I'm young again. Yeah. But then Mrs. Weinstein's like, now I got to see my father die again. It's like, no, no, like, no, no, no y'all no, both yeah. can't be right. That doesn't yeah. make sense. I think there might have been a miscommunication yeah. here. <laughs> I'm confused. And Bloom's just sitting there like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> like, confirm I, one. Yeah. <laughs> I never touched the can. So I Mrs. Dempsey says that she was too young to see Haley's comet, but she was looking forward to seeing it when she turns 80. Bloom tells her that that's only two years away and asks if she would like to see Haley's comet at eight years old or 80 years old. She thinks it over for just a second before telling him 80. Bloom smiles and holds her small hand, sliding her wedding ring back onto her finger. He's like, I was going to keep this shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
Mrs. Dempsey smiles and thanks him. He tells her that she can always go back inside and go to bed. Maybe if they still have some magic left, they can wake back up in their old bodies with fresh young minds. I will say that if he was only going to take the ring for payment as for what he did for them, yeah. I think that's fair. <laughs> that's totally fair. <laughs> he got off. I mean, they got off easy. Yeah, yeah. Right, you won't be needing this. <laughs> <laughs> but they all repeat it with him. Fresh, young minds. This is what I was like. This is not going the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, and again, fresh, young minds. It sounds like he's going to eat yum, them. Yum, yum, yum. And also, it made me laugh because there was a bit of clearly... A, child actress being coached because she mouths it with him and then she says oh. it. Yeah. I was like, that's that's adorable. Yeah. And they left it in when they shouldn't have, but I was like, I'm kinda glad that's they left very it out. <laughs> but they sneak back into their bedroom with AG quietly lamenting that he likes being young. They plop down on their beds, waking Leo. He like cartoon rubs his eyes yeah, does. and stares at them in disbelief. Mr. Mute blows bubbles in his bed while Mr. Weinstein calls him popsicle head. He's like, it's me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the clothes are a dead giveaway, yeah. but okay. <laughs> remember earlier when yeah. you said you're, you're frozen or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Leo says that there are kids in the bed and rushes to bloom who only laughs. Leo runs away, and when he comes back with Miss Cox, everyone is old again. I was. This is still me thinking Bloom is kind of a jerk because he's laughing his ass off before Mrs. Yeah. Cox gets in there because he's like, "Guess what I'm yeah. gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna make him look crazy." <laughs> I guess I can like say it now because they're all back and safe. But I thought that when the next morning came, they were all gonna be dead. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit! They're I just putting sheets over. Yeah. Him. yeah. No. I told John Paul and he was like, and they'd be like, this is just like at the blah, blah, blah home yeah. because he keeps going uh -huh. from place to place. Oh, but yeah. whatever. She's like all six in one night. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> John Paul's like, why would you think that? Well, yeah, I mean, why? it's I the goddamn it's the twilight, twilight zone. I, I get it. But I mean, what does he get out of it? He's killing these He's people. Having fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Miss Cox looks at Leo with a smile who insists that they were all young. She tells him that they're old now. But at this moment, A.G. pops out from under the covers, still young. Yeah. And then he does a fucking sick backflip over yeah. to the window. <laughs> all right. Quit showing off. This is... I was an acrobat. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Cox yells at him for coming in here and scaring all of them. She calls him a ragamuffin. Which yeah, is, which is yeah. just fantastic. <laughs> But Leo pushes past her, walking toward A.G. with an expression of disbelief, which I'm like, how does he recognize him? But Miss Cox yeah. doesn't. But whatever. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Isn't he like your patient? She's like, child, yeah. get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, I don't, but it, whatever. Rag him up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come on. But he asks A.G. to please take him too. this is heartbreaking. Yeah. It's like you were the one that said you loved being yeah. old. They're lighting his eyes like Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> it's very sad. They're like, and this is where the tears yeah. go. <laughs> but AG's like, I can't. <laughs> he says that Leo will have to stay here with himself. He says that there is a destiny and he's sorry. And then AG just leaves. Yeah. Yeah, he's fucking Peter Pan. He just yes, takes yeah, off. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Inconsiderate. He's like, yeah. tally ho. Dude, yeah. I laughed so fucking hard though because Conroy is just gutted at this happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you hear AG outside. It's wonderful <laughs> being yeah. young again. I'm like, dude, 
You're rubbing it in. <laughs> you don't have to do all that. I bet, so, I bet Conroy would enjoy this. A little salt you, for your wounds. Yeah, yeah. You can think it. You don't have to say yeah. it. You don't have to scream it into the no. night. And he's flying. Like, what <laughs> the fuck? Where did he learn to do yeah. that? That was in the can too? Yeah. God damn. But with his eyes full of tears, Leo says that he's ready now. AG's voice echoes, like he said, <laughs> <laughs> yelling how wonderful it is to be young again. It's fucked up. Everyone gathers around Leo, holding him as they stare out the window until Miss Cox closes the curtains. Later, Leo is outside alone playing kick the can. Bloom steps. Up. I don't know. I guess he's not playing. He's just kicking again. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's hiding yeah. or tagging Apparently or whatever. Apparently it's a very complicated game. <laughs> he, he looked very happy playing it though. Yeah. Part of me was wondering if he's like, come on. Yeah, no, right. I, that's how I took it. Do, do your magic. Bloom steps outside with his bags, turns to us with a smile and says, he'll get it. And when you say turns to us. Yeah. He know looks, the camera. Yeah. <laughs> he looks down lens. He was talking to me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, Nay. <laughs> He'll get it. it. We see the old folks bustling with new energy now making plans. But Miss Cox runs around the grounds looking for Mr. A.G. That pissed me off. She's yeah. like, where the fuck is he? So you chased him off. Yeah. Yeah, you called him a ragamuffin. Has nothing to do with that British child I met yeah. last night. <laughs> that was in AG's bed. <laughs> and Conroy was saying something yeah. about him turning unrelated. into children. Or, unrelated. Right. Unrelated. But with his bag in his hand, Bloom steps away from the Sunnyvale rest home, singing a song and running a stick along a fence. The next time he stops is at the Driftwood Convalescent Home, where the old folks sit lifelessly outside. Nurse number two, played by Elsa Raven, greets him happily by name as their new guest. And uh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you guys think of Kick the Can? So he's just going from place to place, turning everybody young if they want or... If <laughs> yeah, they I mean, have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was really waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is... It's it's a very, uh, I guess, Spielberg story. Right, right. Um, I just don't know that it has its place in a Twilight Zone no. film. No. And especially the massive fucking pivot from what we just saw yeah, yeah. in the first segment yeah. where there's slurs and like serious yeah. implications. Yeah, right, right. Uh, maybe maybe the order is it's very it even weird. more. Yeah. Maybe if you have to have this one, do it first and then let them get darker and darker. Yeah. I don't know. But I was like, that was cute. Right. Like, I thought it was a cute but story. It, it, it just feels like a random short film. Tacked yeah, into the, like, okay. yeah. I mean, I. I'm here for Scatman Crothers. Right. I appreciated that. So it's still like charming Mm -hmm. and I appreciate seeing him and it's a cute little story. But yeah, I was like, okay, but who's going to die? Like I was, (laughs) he's the devil, right? Yeah, of course. I was waiting and waiting and waiting and then it never happened. Well, would you? He's just going to the next one. (laughs) Would you like to hear about the original? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mr. Bloom doesn't exist. Mm Mm-hmm. He's not in the story at all. Okay. All it is, is it's a, an old folks home, a guy named Charles. His best friend is Conroy. Charles sees these kids playing with the can and then he takes the can. He realizes- He takes the can? Yeah, he's like, give me that fucking- <laughs> No, he's not. <laughs> but he gets the can and he realizes that he can feel young if he acts young. 
And so it's trying to get all the other people in the old folks' home to join him. Right. But Conroy, of course. I was going to ask you, he's still an asshole. He's not about it at all. But one night after he convinces everybody, they trick the nurses, they sneak out. They're out playing and Conroy wakes up and he hears children out playing with a can. So he runs outside and he sees Charles. All of them are children. Yeah. And they're about to just head off into the night. And Conroy realizes that he fucked up and that he missed his chance. And he's like, please take me with you. Yeah. And Charles doesn't recognize him. Oh, wow. And so all of the residents just run off into the night uh, as children. Yeah. And Conroy is left alone. See, that's more of like what the vibe right, of yeah. the Twilight right. Zone. No, no, no. That's stupid. Oh, wait, it worked. No, take me with you. Yeah. Oh, I oh, can't go. Yeah. Like That's that's more the vibe yeah. this was right. just like nah yeah. like, because he's like oh he'll get it yeah. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, what? <laughs> it loses the irony yeah. and the tragedy All right. and I, I gotta call it out I can't not but there is a bit of a trope going on with Scatman Crothers the magical yeah. negro and yeah. I, I, I wasn't gonna bring it up but yeah, yeah but, you're right yeah and I this story doesn't need that character right no but it's 1983 T. oh okay well <laughs> <laughs> alright but I, I just think that it is just kind of, I mean, probably my least, f- not probably, it is my least favorite <laughs> <laughs> segment in this film. I just don't, it just, it's too, it just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit to me. I just figured because that it was, uh, had like a supernatural to it that it was fine. You know what I and mean? And it does have that. It does. Uh, it has the little magic or whatever. So I was like, okay, maybe this is kind of just, it's not a normal thing. You uh-huh. know what I mean? So I was like, okay, different dimensions, whatever. I was like, so I guess it fits in. I mean, it it is odd to have this such a, I, I want to say feel good, but it's, yeah. no, it but is. dude still kind of got, you know what I mean? But uh, he was happy with the can at the yeah, end. Yeah, I guess. No, and he'll get it. <laughs> Scatman Crothers told, told me you yeah. specifically <laughs> that he's gonna get it. He's like, tell your brother and your yeah. husband, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> well, Laura, right. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I also read somewhere I can't remember where, but they had said that originally Spielberg had thought of doing the monsters are due on Maple Street. Oh, I love that one, uh-huh. and I feel like that would have fit better. You got the paranoia. Yes, right. I you love know, that one. It's, it's not that that one is. Well, no, I think it's a better story. Yeah. It's on and it's again if you're doing these remakes simply because everybody recognizes them. Right. Monsters are due on Maple Street. It's one of the most well-known. Yeah, it is. But I mean, they also said that he shot this in 6 days. Oh, I believe wow. it. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, right. they're trying to get through the production. Yeah. yeah. So I can't be too yeah. harsh. I will I will agree with you that it's the weakest one for me solely because it doesn't feel like it belongs right. in my mind. And it is a, a very harsh left turn from what we just saw. Yeah. We had a man headed to concentration camps. Yeah. yeah. And then he's like, let's play kick the can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck? I got to switch gears. Yeah. I'm sorry, dude. Give me, give me more prologue so I can try to <laughs> bridge, bridge the gap a little bit. Because Jesus Christ. But the next story is It's a Good Life, written by Richard Matheson and directed by Joe Dante. Yeah. Hey, Gremlins. Yeah. And you can feel. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Burgess Meredith narrates again as we see Helen Foley, played by Kathleen Quinlan, driving down a road. He tells us that she's 27 years old and a school teacher. He says that her life has been the same every day, leaving her waiting for something to happen. She doesn't know it yet, but the waiting has just ended y'all see yeah. and i'm already feeling a be careful what you wish for yeah, yeah. feels twilight zony right 
in the first 30 seconds. Yeah. She stops at a diner and consults her map with Walter Paisley, played by Dick Miller. Yeah, it's the neighbor from Gremlins. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't even realize that until you said that. I didn't even, yeah. The racist neighbor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when she says she's lost, he tells her that she's not. She only missed a turnoff. He gives her directions on how to get back on track. He stops, though, to chastise a kid, Anthony, played by Jeremy Licht, to stop beating on the arcade game that he's playing. Anthony says the game's broke, but Walter says he doesn't make the game. He just takes the quarters. Then he's like, maybe put another quarter in and see if that works. <laughs> I will say from what we learn of Anthony, yeah. he should be wrecking this game constantly. Yeah. He should be. He should be. <laughs> The customers, Charlie and Tim, played by Jeffrey Bannister and Bill Mummy, in the diner complain that the kid hitting the game is messing with the boxing match they're watching on TV, but Walt doesn't care. The kid put in a quarter to play, which is more than the nothing that they paid to watch the TV. Bill Mummy? Yes. He played Anthony the kid in the original Twilight Zone. Uh, yeah, I thought okay. that was really cool. Yeah. Because he's just like, just there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was very cool too. When asked, Helen tells Walter that she's going to Willoughby, but that she has no job up there that she has to get to. It was weird. Like, I don't know. Well, they mentioned Willoughby because that's a reference to another Twilight Zone episode. Oh, right. Okay. So I feel like they're just naming things. Yeah. But he's like, you have a job up there? And she's like, no. Well, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned it. The the fans in the audience are like, oh, oh, yeah. oh shit, Fuck Willoughby. Fucking Willoughby. <laughs> Anthony stares at her and Walter continues to press until someone tells him that his wife is on the phone. Once he's gone, Anthony continues to hit the game and interfere with the TV until Charlie gets up and fucking advances on him. Okay, before you do... <laughs> before, it's a lot. Before we get to that, you said he continues pressing. I think he was starting to flirt. Yeah, well, because they're like, your wife exactly. is on the phone. <laughs> yeah, I did too. Right? I think her <laughs> spousal sense was tingling. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck are you are doing? Are cheating again? <laughs> <laughs> But Charlie fucking pushes Anthony away from the game, knocking him against a booth. He twists in the wind. He gets pushed. No, so it's hard. bad. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> he couldn't have just unplugged the machine guy. <laughs> Helen tells him that that's enough and rushes to check on Anthony. But Anthony just runs away. Walter comes back out and demands to know what happened. No one answers him. But Helen goes to her purse and takes out her wallet to pay for the food she ate. Walter's like the food's on the house and he doesn't know what happened, but he's sorry for whatever it was. She sarcastically tells him, real nice town, and then leaves. It's like, well, he didn't yeah. do that. He didn't, but he did say it's a real nice town. Yeah, he did. <laughs> so he's a, you know, he's a liar. Helen gets back into her car and backs out of the parking lot. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know, I watched it like four times. But when she does, Anthony comes riding along on his bike and the two crash into each other. It, <laughs> of course, a child being hit by a car is Terrible, not funny. No. But the way that it is edited and the way that it looks, yeah. I, yes. my stomach hurt. I was laughing so hard. And I was just like recounting his day in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a fucking horrible it day. awful. <laughs> Helen gets out to make sure Anthony's okay. And aside from being dusty, he seems fine. But the front of his bike is bent. She offers him money to get it fixed along with the ride home when he asks for one. As she drives them down the road, she remarks how far out Anthony lives. Not like far yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> he lives really far away. It's a commune. <laughs> People are doing shrooms out there. <laughs> but she assumes that his parents must be worried. Anthony says that's not the case. Today is literally his birthday and they don't even care. 
She's like, it's been a rough birthday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hit you with my car, man. Yeah. And that grown and man that dude, just yeah. threw you around in the diner. And you learn you suck at video games. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's been a, a shitty day. But Anthony says that that's all okay because he made a friend. They shake hands and properly introduce themselves. And they finally pull up to Anthony's big ass house. Yeah. But it has a bunch of old cars out front. They're all broken down. Yeah. I would start to worry. That would, oh, yeah. That would scare oh, me. Yeah. I did laugh at his stiff handshake. He really did give her. He, he hit her with the, put it there, partner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was very funny to me. <laughs> and that becomes the thing that comes up later, too. Yes. Yeah. The shake is just their thing. <laughs> <laughs> But Helen remarks how peaceful it is, and Anthony invites her inside. Inside, Anthony's sister Ethel, played by Bart Simpson herself, Nancy Cartwright, yes, and his uncle Walt, played by Kevin McCarthy, sit on the couch like zombies watching cartoons. Did you notice that the house in the cartoon? Yes. Was their yeah. house. It had a striking resemblance. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> this is not good. It's, yeah, it broke my brain. I couldn't even... <laughs> this bad (laughs) (laughs) when anthony comes in they go over to greet him and anthony makes the proper introductions his mother and father played by patricia berry and william shallert hurry into the room happy to see anthony home they warmly greet helen and are in awe of her when he says that she gave him a ride home now already i'm thrown off because this right. child was like it's my birthday my parents don't even care and yeah. as soon as he walks in the door they're like anthony's home See, i know you mentioned the cars outside and that would worry me too but as soon as i got in and then i heard the the response yeah they give him i'm like you just fucking You're lied a liar. to me yeah. yeah something's wrong he's trying to get some sympathy yeah or what's all right well have, have a good day like yeah. i'm yeah, gone you're home yeah. i gotta go to your loving family yeah, yeah. <laughs> goodbye <laughs> Helen explains the accident of her knocking Anthony down while he was on his bike, which is a lot nicer than I hit your son with my car. Yeah. Yeah. And they all react very strangely, but go back to being overly nice once the dad comments that, well, Anthony's fine. Well, Ethel is like, you knocked him down? Yeah. Yeah. And is just staring in awe at her. And for some reason, Helen doesn't take... She's like, oh, no, I fucked him up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's lucky to be here. You should have seen the dude at the diner. (laughs) Anthony asks if Helen can stay for dinner, and although she protests this, they over-the-top insist. I'm put off. Very much. Anthony asks if they can eat right now, and they tell him yes. Helen asks if she can go wash her hands, and they direct her to head upstairs following Anthony. As she does, Ethel snatches off her purse, and the mother takes her sweater. Helen makes it to the top of the stairs where another TV is poised and playing cartoons. She takes a look back at them before walking out of sight. As soon as Helen is out of sight, the family fights each other to search her purse and her sweater. Yeah. So that's a lot. Yeah. Yes. And very confusing and concerning. Yes. Yeah. I did write down about the TV at the top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, this kid needs a fucking TV at the top of the stairs. And then I realized that I'm the same guy that needs a YouTube video if I'm making breakfast. Like, oh, I have, no, 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 no. My phone is... Don't let me be alone with my no, thoughts. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Entertainment 24-7. Dude, sometimes I'm like, I need to go get a bottle of water from the fridge. All right. What, what do I want? <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave me alone with it. <laughs> So yes, put a TV yeah, at the top. And of the please, table. that's gonna be my dream house. And don't don't turn it off. No. <laughs> Upstairs, Anthony and Helen pass another TV playing cartoons in the hallway. 
The hallway is black and white and looks like something out of a Tim Burton film. Yeah. I love the production design. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it's such, again, we'll talk about the original episode after this, but it is such a departure. Yeah. But it's exactly what I want if you're going to remake something. Right. For sure. Joe Dante made this his own. Yes, he did. Anthony takes off his coat and then just fucking throws it on the floor. (laughs) But Helen picks it up for him, noticing a framed photo on the wall of a cartoon family of four. Did they not have faces? No. The faces looked like... Or they looked like they were drawn. Or or they yeah, were I don't know. Yeah, they, I don't. they looked very weird. They didn't look right. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. You remember that album that was very cool with emo teens whenever we were in high school <laughs> that had their faces covered? And yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's that I album? I love how specific <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I remember seeing it all the time. <laughs> and it reminded me of that photo. We were not cool. No, not, not cool enough, apparently. <laughs> But downstairs, Uncle Walt looks through photos out of Helen's stuff of her on a beach with a man on a horse. She lives an exciting life. (laughs) I don't know why she says every day is the same. Yeah. (laughs) Is she the love witch, man? Yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) But he laments at how much he used to love the beach. The other three sit on the stairs fighting over Helen's belongings. The dad argues that if Ethel will give him one of her cigarettes, he'll give her the lighter. Upstairs, Helen looks for Anthony. She stumbles upon a room with multiple beds. They're all made up with teddy bears occupying them. At the end of the room, someone sits in a wheelchair watching cartoons on another TV. Anthony comes in and says that's his other sister, Sarah. She was in an accident. From the TV, we see Sarah played by Sherry Curie. So, I look, I've never known how to pronounce her name my entire life. Mm-hmm. I assumed that it was Cherry Curry because she was the singer of The Runaways. Oh, okay. And they have that song, Cherry Bomb. I thought that song was about her, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it is Cherry. It's spelled French like Shelly. Mon Shelly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Uh, you're probably right. Uh, no, I'm not. Probably not. <laughs> but right. go on. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get corrected in the. <laughs> Somebody let us know. Yeah. Joan Jett, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> her specifically yes. and only her only Joan. i will not be accepting other no because you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> but her eyes are wide with bags underneath them and when helen and anthony leave we see the lower half of her face she has no mouth whatsoever everything is completely smooth tell me what she did what accident so yeah, I, yeah that's what i want to know like, yeah I her wanna... accident i think was running her mouth yeah oh well, I can't help that, Julia. No. <laughs> <laughs> Downstairs, Uncle Walt stares at Helen's photos more. The mother puts on Helen's makeup, and Ethel and her father smoke Helen's cigarettes. Anthony's like, I'm coming back downstairs, and they all panic and put everything away. Ethel swallows her cigarette that was yeah. in her mouth. <laughs> It makes me laugh because back upstairs, Anthony was like, I always like to let him know when I'm coming. Yeah, I like, what? <laughs> that, that would worry me so much. Why? Yeah. <laughs> they come downstairs, Anthony proclaiming that they're ready to eat. But the second that he passes through the cloud of cigarette smoke, his face drops. Did they think he wouldn't smell it? Yeah, that's what I thought too. <laughs> they like, flew clearly, too close to the Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's fucking worth yeah. it. Well, it's funny because he calls down and they all hide their stuff, but right, like right. there's a fresh cloud. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't counted on that. No. He walks up to Ethel and stares at her angrily, but Uncle Walt whisks him away to the living room. Anthony takes a seat in front of the TV and Helen picks up her purse and sweater, only for them to be taken away from her again. Anthony asks if she'd like to sit next to him. And when she proposes that maybe his mom would like to, they're like, no, 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 no. You go, yeah. Yeah. You go ahead and sit down. Please. Yeah. 
<laughs> so she does and they all watch cartoons for a moment but anthony's mother leans in between him and helen and asks if anthony remembers where dinner is anthony's like you know where it is it's in the oven she's like oh that's right they all laugh and his parents rush off to the kitchen they laugh but that wasn't like yeah, was <laughs> yeah. laughing i didn't laugh i was very no, yeah. i was like what worried. the fuck it's like you don't know where the oven is <laughs> <laughs> They continue to watch cartoons, one bird telling another that it's great to be a cartoon because they can do whatever they can think of. Anthony's like, this is good shit. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, the cartoon's meta as fuck. Yeah, he's all fucking spitting. <laughs> he yeah. is. But it made me laugh because after he actually turned, the bird turned into a mouse. Yeah. That's when he leaned over. He's like, this is really yeah. good. <laughs> and Helen's like, mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah, yeah, sure. It's a decent cartoon, I'd say. <laughs> Helen asks what else he likes and he tells her that nothing is as good as this because anything can happen in cartoons. His parents come out with a plate for everyone. Um, it's, a, it's a very balanced and nutritious yeah. meal. Oh, yeah. It Okay, that was a McDonald's hamburger. Yeah, right? yeah it had to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's also chips, a caramel apple, cookies, ice cream, more, I'm sure. Yeah. I will say Anthony's palate is for shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know i don't know what the fuck he's all these cartoons he needs to pop food network yeah. on one of these tvs <laughs> maybe get some ideas Goddamn! and then if it's your birthday you can have whatever you want this is really what you want to eat and you're forcing everyone yeah to- you he's make like and also a fucking candy apple yeah, yeah. <laughs> there has to be a limit yeah here. no your teeth kid yeah no shit <laughs> helen thanks anthony's mother and anthony does too which makes his mom like yeah. Pause. Yeah. They all stare at him, and once he eats a chip, they all start to scarf down their food. Helen doesn't eat until Anthony's like, What you not gonna eat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she peels open her burger to find that peanut butter is sticking the bun to the meat, which is apparently how Anthony likes it. Okay, so I have heard of this. Right. I have too, but they made it look real gross. Yeah, yeah they did. <laughs> I thought there was like chili on there. Or something. Yeah. I don't know what was going on. Sticky chili. Yeah. Caramel chili. I don't think I would be willing to ruin a burger to try. Maybe on a bite. Oh, I forgot. You yeah, can, you don't have to yeah. put it on Wait, the whole thing. Yeah. You can cut your meals into sections. You don't just swallow it whole <laughs> like a duck. <laughs> but Helen takes a bite and is like, do y'all eat like this all the time? The mom says yes, because Anthony can have whatever he wants. Helen says that they shouldn't eat like this all the time because Anthony is young and needs his nutrition. I'm like, you are a guest man. Exactly. (laughs) Can you imagine going into somebody's house and they feed you for free and you're like, damn, you eat like this? Like, are you fucking get, get the out? Audacity. Get the hell out! Helen's the real villain. Yeah, <laughs> they're like Helen Knowles. Yeah. <laughs> this boy needs some goddamn nutrition. <laughs> You're in a broccoli shit. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone freezes until Anthony agrees with Helen. It's true. This isn't good all the time. They immediately are like, oh, yeah, 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 hell yeah, like whatever. <laughs> Anthony says. But he shuts them down, saying that they've never told him that. It's like, oh, oh God. Yeah. They're treating him like he's the number one of the stone cutters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cartoon on the TV shows one character dragging another to a birthday celebration and it dawns on Helen. Oh, they're eating this way because it's Anthony's birthday meal. Ethel is shook at this. Another birthday with gifts and presents. 
Anthony glares at her and her plate flips, <laughs> yeah. flips off her lap and onto the floor. Anthony immediately says he didn't do it. And Helen has had enough. How dare you say I didn't do it? Yeah. yeah. First of all, to Bart Simpson. Second of all, <laughs> after it is very clear that you had something to yeah. do with that. Still being polite, though, Helen stands and tells the room that she really needs to be going now. But Anthony begs her not to go. And after glancing at the TV where a cartoon rabbit is pulling itself out of a hat, he tells her that Uncle Walt was just about to do a trick. He's Kaiser so saying the whole <laughs> <Yeah>. day together. <laughs> but Uncle Walt is shoving chips into his face and doesn't seem like he got the magic trick memo. Yeah. Helen tries to gather her things, but the family stops her. Anthony tells Uncle Walt to do the hat trick. And when he asks where the hat even is, Anthony tells him there's one on the TV. Suddenly, there is one on the TV, and Helen looks horrified. There was not a hat on yeah. the TV. There was not. And this is concerning. Yes. Yeah. But they force her down into a chair, and she sits as Uncle Walt goes to grab the hat. Uncle Walt stands up in front of the family, and suddenly there's a spotlight on him. They all gather to watch the mom clutching a fishbowl for some reason. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. She's yeah, trying to protect I don't the fish. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uncle Walt tries to stall, but Anthony keeps telling him to just do the trick. Looking terrified, he finally starts, plunging his hand into the top hat and looking very surprised when he pulls out a white bunny. That rabbit is like, please don't bring me yeah. into this. <laughs> I, I did not ask no, for this. Yeah. I don't want to eat fucking candy on yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see any I need carrots on that plate. They all grab Helen, saying that they do this kind of stuff all the time and that she'll love it here. Anthony tells Uncle Walt to do more, and suddenly something else rockets out of the hat. It is a huge, disfigured, evil-looking bunny that looks down on Uncle Walt, growling and shaking. It's a frightening sight. It oh, is, yeah. To uh, say the least. I love it. It looks good. Yeah. yeah. Did you know that it... all Actually, all the makeup in this one segment was done by Rob Bottin, who did all the creature design in The Thing. Oh, nice. Very cool. Oh, Yeah. Anthony smiles, but when Helen screams, he's like, God damn it. <laughs> he tells the bunny to go away. So I thought you'd be into this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Helen wrestles with them and starts to grab her things, but Anthony rushes to her and tells her that he'll make sure that she loves it here. He'll make sure the food is how she said it should be, and he'll even change the house for her. He tells her to just say the word and he'll make whatever she wants. As he continues to beg... <laughs> He sees a note written on a comic book that was slipped into Helen's purse. Now, the note is very vague okay. and mysterious, <laughs> mm -hmm. but Helen's able to figure it out. The note says, <laughs> help us. Anthony is a monster. <laughs> That's, that made, come on. Yeah. It made me laugh so hard because they were like, we're risking it all. Yeah. Yes. And who, I, I never saw them slip it in there. No. So we're as confused as Anthony is. Yeah. But, and that's the other thing, I, I'll get into it more later, but in the real segment, yeah. he could read their thoughts. Yeah. And so he's like, who did it? Yeah. He's like fucking Kirsten Dunst in Interview with the Vampire. <laughs> Which one of you did it? That's, it's like, why don't you just read their minds? <laughs> But he's like, I told you, they hate me here. He says that they want to send him somewhere bad, just like his real mother and father did, which can you elaborate on that yeah. a little bit? I was like, real? Yeah. yeah. 
His parents protest, saying that they love him and they wouldn't do that. But Anthony says they're only saying this because they're afraid of him, but he does everything for them. All they do is sit around and watch TV all day, and he's good all the time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't know about that. Smacking plates out of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that rabbit was a little on the line, I'd say. It was questionable. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Walt tells him that he is good and they love him, leaving Anthony to wonder who wrote the note. Who would call him a monster? He goes down the line. His mother, Uncle Walt, and his father all deny it before fully throwing Ethel under the bus. It's bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Ethel's like, I caramba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony's like, well, well, well. Ethel turns on Helen, saying now she's never going to get out of here. None of this happened on accident. He brought Helen here just like he did the rest of them, and maybe he'll get mad at her like he did his real sister. Sarah, I guess. Right. She says he'll cripple her and take off her mouth so she can't yell at him. Or maybe he'll do what he did to his real parents, and Anthony's like, that's enough of that shit. (laughs) And he tells (laughs) Ethel that it's time for her to go. Helen asks Anthony to stop, but he wishes Ethel into cartoon land. Ethel disappears. Do you realize, okay, I know we've, we've made a lot of Bart Simpson <laughs> yeah. jokes here, but they did a Treehouse of Horror where she played Anthony's role. Yes. Uh, and then they did a Treehouse of Horror where they were sucked into a cartoon. Yes. Like, <laughs> she's like, why is this familiar? Like, yeah. Lord. Anthony turns to the TV saying that he told them cartoons were good. They can do anything. Ethel appears in the TV, still human, <laughs> next to a cartoon animal. I don't know if it was a dog or a wolf. Yeah. I don't know. He had bad intentions as yeah. well. He, yeah, he was very shady. <laughs> and it transforms into a fire-breathing monster. Ethel runs screaming as anthropomorphic flames grab at her. I'm sorry. I think that the wolf with the axe and he's like, we've been waiting for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's way creepier than that dragon creature. Yeah, (laughs) Pull that lever again. (laughs) Come on. The family stares in horror as Ethel is swallowed up by the monster who wipes his mouth and smiles. The TV cuts off and Anthony's like, that's all, Ethel. You was like, that was yeah. like, <laughs> now you done gone too far. <laughs> He's got quips. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. You don't get one liners. No. Helen runs for the front door and when she opens it, a giant eye stares back at her. She slams the door shut. Anthony says that he can't help it. He doesn't want to hurt anyone. He just wants for people not to be afraid of him. It's like, well, you're going about this yeah. the yeah. wrong way. No, I do want to point out, I think I read that the eye was a reference to Night Gallery. Oh, it okay. was another Rod Serling show. I never really watched. I didn't watch it like the Twilight Zone at least. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. So I cannot vouch for the eye. <laughs> all right. Just <laughs> for the record. He says that all he has to do is wish something and it comes true. Nobody understands. He says he can do anything. Video game noises start up with bright lights in the other room as Anthony stares at his family with wide eyes. The TV starts to smoke and shake as a bright light rips a zigzag up the center of it. It continues to shake until it breaks apart, exposing a super bright light. A tornado breaks out of the TV and spins into the center of the living room until the dust settles, revealing a horrible, twisted creature. 
I remember as a kid and as an adult watching this for the show, uh-huh. I was very disappointed both times it wasn't Tasmanian Devil. Dude, uh, that's yes. what they were leading up to. No, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> very, very away from us. And that tornado was like 15 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, we're going to yeah. see Taz. Like, here it is. Here it is. Yeah. Nope. nope. And it makes no sense because this movie is distributed by Warner Brothers. Yeah. Tasmanian Devil is a Warner Brothers creation. I don't understand. Maybe he was busy. Uh, what <laughs> is he doing? <laughs> the real Tasmanian Tasmanian devil yeah. is like I can't. He's like, oh, I'm on vacation that yeah. week. I'm on paternal leave yeah. that week. <laughs> he has a life too. You get in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Twilight Zone movie. But another creature, I don't. Okay, I don't know if this is another creature or if this creature is just needful thingsing itself into, yeah, other, I, <laughs> into <laughs> other shapes. But anyway, another iteration at least blows smoke in uncle walt's face and anthony giggles another one makes hideous faces its eyes bulging and its tongue lolling out of its mouth as it points at helen when it was blowing smoke i don't know why but it put me in the mind i don't know if you guys are fans of paul rudd's constant prank on conan (laughs) but that thing looked like that creature from mac and me (laughs) did it not or am i just is my brain no it did okay (laughs) i was like these this dude's here but you couldn't get the tasmanian devil but taz said yeah that's why he said no he's like like, oh fucking mac is coming (laughs) (laughs) or was he me i don't know i've never seen the movie Uh, I think he's doing like uh, in the old cartoons when the wolf sees the female. Oh, and they're like, why was it like specifically the wolf that was so horny all the time? Because wolves are horny. That's just biology. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone knows that. (laughs) Sorry. I don't watch enough nature documentaries. (laughs) I only watch the ones about horny Horny wolves. wolves. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. But Helen tells Anthony to wish it away, and he does, causing the morphing creature to burst into smoke and then disappear. Anthony says that he hates this house and everything about it. (laughs) He says that he wishes it all away and closes his eyes as a bright red light shines in the living room. It feels a lot like Anthony just has a crush, and he's like, what do you want, Helen? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What do you like to eat? Look, we've all had a crush on a teacher every now and then, but this is getting out of hand. You are torturing these people. Yeah. When Anthony opens his eyes again, he and Helen are in a bare space, completely empty except for fog. James Wan, are you here? (laughs) (laughs) Helen asks where the others are, and Anthony says he sent them where they wanted to go, away from him, which felt very petty and passive-aggressive. Oh, you don't want to be with me? Okay. They (laughs) will disappear you. Yeah, yeah. come on, man. (laughs) He says it's not fair because you're supposed to be happy when your wishes come true. But Anthony tells Helen to take them back, and he says she'll just leave too. She says, where would she go? She's seen his power that makes him special and tells him that he better be careful or one day it may become too big for him to control. She tells him that maybe together they can learn how to master it and use it in ways that he never thought of. She asks if she can be both his teacher and his student. Student? Yeah. Well, she's like, teach me how to do that thing with your mind, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that did weird me out. He asks if she'll stay with him for always and she tells him, always they shake on it and again it's like you know we gotta do our special thing but we zoom in on their hands suddenly they're in the fog outside standing next to helen's car so are we to believe that 
all those other cars were for people that he brought here and just like yeah. vanished away. Y'all don't even, y'all can't even hide the cars or Anthony can't even clean them up with his yeah, mind. Like, no he's like, he doesn't oh, yeah. care. He's like, what cartoon's playing upstairs? Yeah. <laughs> That's where my mind's at. <laughs> but she asked him not to do much more of that and he agrees. They get inside the car and when she searches for her keys, he tells her to look in her pocket. She finds them there, starts the car and they take off. As they drive down the road, Anthony closes his eyes and suddenly outside the car is bright. Helen looks over at him with a smile and she continues to drive, leaving flowers blooming on the sides of the road as they speed past. That kid is a ticking time bomb. <laughs> yeah, she's going to kill him in his sleep. It's not going to, yeah. yeah. No, not until she gets his power. Oh, yeah. But can she even get his power? I don't think I don't know. so. <laughs> I don't know. She's hoping for yeah. it. But what did you guys think of that one? I like that one a lot. That what this one, like I said, this one and this next one are the ones that I remember the most. Yeah, yeah, we're trending in the right direction. Yeah, now. I, I do, and y- I, I know you said that this one was a remake of an original story mm-hmm. they had before. I, I enjoyed this one very much, so I'm kind of curious to see the original. Yeah, the original is. The same basic premise. Mm-hmm. They don't. Helen is not a character. Mm-hmm. It's just Anthony and his family. Right. And it's his real family. And he is way more evil. Right. Like <laughs> this dude rocks up. <laughs> no, it's fucking crazy. This dude rocks up at the beginning and Anthony's like out on the lawn and Rod Serling already lets you know that this gets <laughs> fucked up. <Yeah. laughs> so it's not a big twist or a right, surprise. Right. But he's out there playing on the lawn. He's like digging a hole and he tells this guy, he's like, I made a three headed gopher. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, it's very good. You did that, Anthony. Yeah. And Anthony goes, I'm so- <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sick of this gopher. I want it dead. It's <laughs> like, die, Jesus. gopher. And the gopher dies. I was like, this is like 1959. Yeah. God <laughs> damn. I was laughing my yeah. ass off watching it. But the, the whole thing, there is no humor in it. He's just torturing these people. Right. He turns one into a jack-in-the-box. I was going to say, when does, when does he turn his father into, <laughs> into <laughs> yeah. a crusty jack-in-the-box? Yeah, it's pretty rough. And then the thing ends with just, this is life. Yeah. Like, we can't fucking fix Anthony. Anthony's just going to be a dick to everyone. Yeah. And then it oh, just kind of wow. plays out. And then Rod Serling's like, I think at the end, Rod Serling's like, nope, That was fucked nope. up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says like there's no comment here he's yeah, like i yeah, got nothing that, uh, basically but he he does his little outro but it starts with that was a lot yeah <laughs> we're sorry for that no gophers are harmed. Yeah. <laughs> i'm just worried about the gopher i was like jesus christ yeah. <laughs> gopher's like i'm an abomination yeah <laughs> and now you're just killing me just trying to do some research here but joe dante had a different ending that he wanted what i read that his original ending was that the house was going to explode Mm -hmm. and it was going to kill everyone inside including anthony but helen was going to escape all right and as she made her way out to the road she gets picked up as a hitchhiker by dan Aykroyd. ah okay they were going to try to do more tie-ins right right that would have been cool because it really we get the beginning and then well, let's continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to answer your question, I think this segment's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a massive shift in tone from the original, like I said. But uh, <laughs> I think that's what I want if you're going to remake something. Right. I don't want... If I... I would just go watch the Twilight Zone episode again. Yeah. 
and Joe Dante obviously had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Oh, clearly. Um, it was good. I really liked this one. It's a little... I didn't know how you were going to feel about it, T, because of all the cartoon stuff. And we all know how you can be sometimes. Well, but- it was at the end. So I was like, you're you're losing me. But I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's like 10 seconds left. <laughs> you better be going somewhere with this Dante. <laughs> So the final story is Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, written by Richard Matheson and directed by George Miller. I think this is why we are all here. Yes. We see a plane flying through a storm, and Burgess Meredith tells us that what we're seeing could be the end of the nightmare, but it's not. It's the beginning. He mentions flight passenger John Valentine, whose destination is the Twilight Zone. Oh, wow. How convenient. Right? (laughs) That's where we are, too. Yeah. Inside the plane, we see John Valentine, played by the Trinity Killer himself, John Lithgow. Uh, We love this dude. Yes. No, he's great. I had a very massive disagreement with an old boss over this segment Mm -hmm. because I had not remembered seeing the Twilight Zone movie. And so I had made a reference to the original and I was like, William Shatner. Exactly. I was like, you know, William Shatner. And she's like, it's not William Shatner. It's John Lithgow. I, and I felt like Drew Barrymore and scream. I was like, I've seen that episode <laughs> 20 goddamn times. But uh, <laughs> it, it turns out we were both you were right. Both yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I needed to make a phone call. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was promptly fired. <laughs> but he is having a full blown panic attack in the airplane bathroom. An alarm beeps, accompanied by a sign warning him to get back to his seat. The sign is like, sir, I get back. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering, I was like, man, he's having a fucking panic attack or something. He's not having a good time. The pilot over the intercom tells the passengers that the storm is developing faster than they anticipated and they might hit some whoopsie daisies. It's like, don't be cute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Our lives are on the line. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> Just say turbulence, yeah, okay? God damn. But he advises everyone to get back to their seats, buckle in, and put out their cigarettes. Yes. <laughs> nineteen eighty three. Mm. Someone starts knocking on the bathroom door, and Valentine is not okay. He is red-faced, panting, and shaking. He looks up at the door in absolute fear as it continues to boom with knocks. But we see that outside of the door, the booming knocks are just junior stewardess, played by Donna Dixon, knocking politely. Now, very quickly, this is Dan Aykroyd's wife. Oh, really? Yes, and they're still together. Hey. And they have three kids. I mean, I'm sure they're grown now, but they're still fucking married. I thought that was very cool. Three little babies. (laughs) Three (laughs) newborn babies. (laughs) Do you think they met here? Like, what's the. Well, they were married in 83. This is. Yeah, so uh, which came first? I don't know. Very cool. But I thought that was very cute. But. She calls in and gets no response from Valentine. Senior stewardess, who is referred to as Dion, but credited as senior stewardess, I'm going to call her Dion, Yeah, is played by Abby Lane. She joins junior stewardess and expresses concern that a passenger has been in there for a very long time. Dion asks if the passenger is a tall and fair-haired man, and they confirm it's John Valentine. Dion is not surprised because she said he was a white-knuckled type, and she had a feeling that this might happen. A passenger comes up and asks if everything is all right, and they tell her that it is and to go back to her seat. The passenger is played by Carol Serling, who was Rod Serling's wife. Yeah. I thought that was very cool. Yeah. it. I enjoyed seeing her because it's like you've got one of the most iconic segments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you got her like almost as like a bit of continuity. Yeah. yeah. That's just very nice. It's also really cute that she's talking to Dan Aykroyd's wife. Yeah. yeah. That's cute. <laughs> but... um. I didn't know this, but she was a project consultant for this film. Oh, wow. And when they rebooted The Twilight Zone, she was an executive producer. Oh, okay. I think she barely passed away in like 2020. 
God damn. I know. What a life. I know. But when Dion knocks on the door, Valentine finally responds, asking her to give him just a moment. He takes a bottle of pills out of his bag, swallows a few, and splashes some water onto his face before staring at himself in the mirror. Outside the bathroom, Junior Stewardess asks why she doesn't knock again, but Dion says that he just needs another couple of minutes. Valentine finally comes out and is met immediately with reassurance. There's nothing wrong with being scared of flying, but statistically, he's safer up here than on the road. Really safer up here than in his own bathroom. I'm going to need to see the (laughs) The stats on that. (laughs) I don't know about that. They try to lead him back to his seat and he says he'll be fine. But when the lights flicker, he's barely able to even walk. He starts moving slowly as they pull him along and he's nervously rambling and citing actual statistics on drowning in your tub versus the number of aircraft fatalities in the last year. If I'm a passenger, I'm like, can you shut the fuck up? They're like, are we going (laughs) to die? He's talking about whoopsie daisies. You're fucking doing stats. I'm I'm done. He's freaking out. I have to say that they're starting at a place of higher tension. Yeah. Because on the show, Shatner was married. He, I think he had just gotten out of a mental hospital on the episode and they were going on a plane somewhere, mm-hmm. but starting here with him already freaking out yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. And that's the thing about John Lithgow being such a great actor. Cause I was like, how is he going to go higher than this? Oh, he does. He oh, does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he oh yeah, he does. But as he struggles through another sweaty panic attack, they get him into a seat. Junior stewardess literally pushes down on the back of his head to get him to sit down. (laughs) Another passenger spills his drink and Dion rushes away to get him another. Junior stewardess stays with Valentine, who looks sick as the sky races by outside of his window. She picks up his book, Microchip Logic, and after mistaking it for a science fiction, he tells her it's a computer textbook. She's like, you read this shit? (laughs) And he's like, I wrote it. It's like, ooh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry about that, man. (laughs) She tells him to just get some rest, but he stops her, saying that he wants to keep the overhead light on when she tries to switch it off. She obliges, but takes away his book and suitcase so that he can rest. I'd be like, don't touch my shit yeah why are you do you notice is this whenever she is helpful to him and then the second she turns to dion she's like right now yeah Yeah. it's driving me crazy (laughs) (laughs) as she passes dion on her way out she's like just get him some water (laughs) dion fastens his seatbelt, reassuring him that everything's fine she lowers her voice and presents him with a medicine cup she says they're not really supposed to do this but she brought him a sedative to help him sleep she's like this is against the rules but you're fucking you're doing a lot right now i'm risking my job but damn he looks terrible oh he does he does and he refuses the pills anyway but he he did just take some in the bathroom Mm -hmm. suddenly a bright light goes off as young girl played by christina negra snaps a polaroid of them she jokingly tries to charge them four dollars for it and dion's like what i guess Well, I mean, the airline's not getting a cut. This yeah. is not supposed to be starting businesses on that. I will say that this seems like the era of fucking snarky kids. Precocious children. Yeah. yeah. I, not my favorite Four era. Four bits, ma'am. Yeah, like, what the fuck? fuck? <laughs> Where's your mother? <laughs> but Dion carries her back to her seat next to her sleeping mother and buckles her in. She goes back to Valentine and asks if he's okay. And he assures her he's fine, but he is clearly fucking not fine. Dion walks away as young girl flips through her photos. Valentine lights a cigarette, but the young girl whistles at him. When he looks over at her, her f- <laughs> she has a ventriloquist dummy on her lap. Yeah, I don't know where this came from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she moves his mouth and speaks, reminding Valentine that the captain said no smoking. 
He stares at her and settles back into his seat before seeing that the man in front of him, played by Scott Knapp, is turned in his seat and staring at him menacingly. I would think, honestly, I'm like, I think I'm hallucinating right now. I've got that puppet that popped up out of nowhere. I got fucking Wilson Fisk in front of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking all pissed off. I'm, I think I'm just going to go to sleep. Yeah. Dion, I will take those pills, please. <laughs> but Valentine puts out a cigarette. When he looks back at the girl, she's suddenly asleep, cuddled up with her dummy. How much time is passing? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think he's having many like blackouts yeah. or something. <laughs> Micro sleeps. Yes. I, I learned about that in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. So if it's like anything else in that film, it's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably don't, not real. Hold, don't hold you to it. No, no, no. Lightning and thunder strike and Valentine panics. He opens up a newspaper and tries to read. But the headline staring back at him is airline disaster. Worst ever. The byline is 437 dead. Cause remains mysterious. If I'm uh, if I'm a flight attendant, I'm gathering up all these newspapers. Yeah, I was gonna say why why would you leave that on the plane? I don't and know. that's not something that I'd want to see. Why there's a storm Absolutely outside? No, I'm already freaking out. Uh-huh. Uh, even if you're not Valentine, no, please, yeah, yeah, please even don't. if not, yeah. any any passenger. <laughs> He quickly closes the paper and looks back out the window. He looks at the airplane wing just in time to see maybe something human-like crawl across and slither off of it. I love this little section. Mm-hmm. And I love the cinematography, how it sweeps past him yeah. Yeah. out the window. I do want to say that they're really, really great right now about not showing too much of anything. <laughs> yeah. I say right, right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> we get some character work that's a little interesting. What I really, <laughs> what I really loved is it's almost like, did I see that? Yes. Yeah. Because that happens to me literally all the time. I'll think like, I see something and I'm like, bitch, like you're fine. Yeah. But the fact that it's on the wing, that's just, I mean, that's terrifying. And we're already going through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say that on that, I know real quick, uh, when, when it's my days off and everybody's gone, <laughs> I don't know for the, the way she has the kids or the way the kids put their calendars in the entrance to their room. Uh-huh. You can barely see the wall, but because it's dark from the picture, <laughs> out of the corner of my eye, every now and then I'll think somebody's standing right there. <laughs> and God. then I'll look again and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the calendar. <laughs> I don't know why my mind's like, hey, somebody's there. Uh-huh. And then I look and I'm like, oh, yeah. Or like, hey, a kid's there. And because it, it's, you know what I mean, shorter yeah. for them to reach it. And I'm like, oh, that's, you know what I mean? I, so, every, every, every time. Yeah, every time. And I'm like, I know it's a calendar. So but, every day there's a gremlin on the calendar? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Just standing there. Just there? Like, holy shit. Valentine wipes his eyes and looks again. And in the darkness, he can barely make out maybe something crawling back up. He puts on his glasses and looks out again. And there's definitely some kind of creature played by Larry Cedar with long hair straddling the engine of the wing. Suddenly, the creature, and by extension, the wing and the engine, are struck by lightning. Now, I am sorry. (laughs) I rewound this maybe 10 times. (laughs) The creature does a little Harlem shake as the sparks fly from the engine. John Paul was watching it yesterday, and I busted out laughing. I get the shake is a fucking... It's for a split second, but it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Well, because... It got electrocuted. (laughs) The funny thing to me is that he's he's also vulnerable (laughs) to the elements. Because he's out there, I imagine, trying to fuck up the plane. Yeah. Yeah. But he's like, oh, and I'll take this screw out. (laughs) And like, like, 
it's like, it's like I wasn't expecting yeah, oh that shit. Oh my god, <laughs> that's fucking crazy! Like it just it made me laugh so, <laughs> so hard. The way they do it just looks so funny. I was all home alone, just fucking cackling. I couldn't stop laughing. He hadn't counted on that. He wasn't ready. <laughs> This is when John Valentine freaks the fuck out. He jumps up from his seat and runs to the aisle, telling everyone that there's a man on the wing. Everyone rushes to the windows and the creature slithers off, of course, before anything can yeah. see it. Before anybody can see it. Need to ask John Valentine, have you ever seen a man before? <laughs> <laughs> Did you not notice? <laughs> like, I'm so... <laughs> He even had his glasses on this time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, he you got a prescription. Yeah, He's overdue. that's really bad. But when they look, there's nothing there, of course. The old couple behind Valentine, played by Edward Franz and Margaret Wheeler, try to humor him, but just quickly sit back down. Valentine tries to explain himself to Dion. He tells her about the man he yeah. saw and the flash of light and the sparks, the smoke, some fire. He posits that maybe it was a technician that got caught on the wing, but he's not going to be able to survive out there. The air is too thin and the wind is too cold. He finally takes his glasses off and looks at her and is like, that's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> she offers him the pills again. And this time he takes them telling her that he feels so stupid. He begins to laugh nervously as the storm rages outside. Dion covers him with the blanket and closes the shade to the window, telling him there's no need to be embarrassed and he just needs to get some rest. No, you have full. You should be embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. Take two of these and call yeah, me in the morning. Please. Take Go your ass to, bed. to sleep. He says the mind is amazing. How eyes can make you see something that's not even there, like turning calendars into children. <laughs> 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 he sees Junior Stewart as nervously consulting with the co-pilot, played by John Dennis Johnston, and tells Dion that she doesn't have to stay here with him. She has other passengers to attend to. If I'm Valentine and I see her talking to the pilot because she's like, that's him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay. I really need to calm down. <laughs> but Dion says she's happy to stay here. He assures her that it will be easier for him to be alone and that he's already drowsy. He fakes falling asleep and the two laugh before she finally leaves. It was cute. Yeah. Yeah. Now alone, Valentine makes himself comfortable and begins to drowse until he's startled by lightning and thunder outside the window. He closes the shade of the window in front of him instinctually, but as strings that really reminded me of Psycho. They had some, there was a crossover. Yeah. <laughs> it was its own thing. But right. Yeah. As they begin to play, curiosity almost gets the better of him and he contemplates opening his own shade. Logic prevails though, and he tries to go back to sleep. He does close his eyes and seem to be resting, but he's like, I can't fucking take it. He quickly opens them and turns back to his window. He flings the shade open and the hideous creature has its face pressed right up against the window, shaking its head as Valentine screams. Why me? Like, because you uh, saw me. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't know you were too busy <laughs> yeah. doing the Harley show. Yeah, fucking jacking on like Bender. <laughs> <laughs> I watched this a few times, this little part, uh -huh. and I showed your sister, but it looks like when he looks back at the creature, his eyes like bulge out. I was yes, gonna, yeah. And we stopped it and we kept trying to look and it looks like him. Like, yeah. Very weird. I couldn't. It looked like somebody's eyes exploded. Yeah. Yes. And I was like. <laughs> it looked like Valentine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm. That uh, is a bit much. My note was, he's really scared. <laughs> His eyes are like, you yeah. can stay here, but yeah, we're leaving. 
Valentine loses his shit and has to be held down by nearly every passenger. The little girl snaps another Polaroid. It's like, bitch, that was not the time. It's like the paparazzi. I don't want to remember this part. Am I most vulnerable? (laughs) No shit, right. It's like TMZ will pay fucking. (laughs) But the co-pilot screams at Dion to go get the handcuffs. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. After a shot of the outside of the plane, we see Valentine still being held down, babbling and asking that they let him go. The guy in front of him, I didn't want to say his credit before, but it's Sky Marshall. Yeah. 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 He reveals himself to be a Sky Marshall. Go figure. But the co-pilot assures him that they have it handled. He's like, you want me to take care of this? Yeah. <laughs> is this when we get a sweet shot of his ankle gun that they... I think yeah. so. That <laughs> is definitely not coming yeah. into play no, later. No, never. He yells at all the passengers to sit back down. Junior stewardess tries to take care of the young girl, but she is super excited about the handcuffs. (laughs) The Sky Marshal scoops her up as her mother, played by Lana Schwab, finally wakes up. Like, what's she done this time? It's like, lady, thanks for fucking nothing. (laughs) Through the co-pilot's guidance, Valentine finally slows his breathing and regains his composure. Co-pilot asks what the problem is, and Valentine calmly and politely asks him to look out the window. He does before closing the shade and asks Valentine what we, what he was supposed to have seen. Defeated, Valentine's like, you weren't supposed to see anything. And he apologizes. So, I mean, why is this monster so hell-bent on making him look crazy? <laughs> this really seems personal. It's, yeah, did you have a run-in with him <laughs> at, like, the baggage claim at another airport? Like, he's like oh, yeah. he's fucked. Oh, that's it. And you gonna... just made the list. <laughs> Co-pilot levels with him. He's the first officer on the plane in a severe storm. Valentine is an irrational passenger that is now threatening the safety of everyone else. He tells him to calm down or he's going to have to handcuff him. Valentine, clearly unable to read the room, shouts that there is something wrong with the plane. Although he doesn't care what happens to himself, if they don't do something, everyone else is going to die too. He screams at everyone watching, including both flight attendants and the little girl, that (laughs) they'll die, even spelling it out for them. D-I-E. Well, in all fairness, she spelled out no smoking. Yeah. She did. So he's like, a little taste of your own medicine? (laughs) You like spelling? Yeah, check this shit out. But the little girl reminds him that that he used to be normal. She's like, what the the fuck's wrong with you? How far back do they go? (laughs) A baggage claim. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the co-pilot asks what valentine thinks is wrong and valentine says there's an engine out when asked he even says which one and asks if it's true the co-pilot's like never you mind that it's like yeah. no, 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 no. is it <laughs> <laughs> he finally admits that the engine was struck by lightning but the plane has four engines and it's a remote possibility that they'll lose another one. First of all don't ever say yeah. that <laughs> second of all isn't it strange enough that he was correct about everything yeah. yes Valentine asks if he's sure that it was the lightning and the co-pilot says yes. They're landing in 20 minutes and the probability is highest that they will survive. I don't like the way you said no, that. <laughs> I understand you're trying to speak like he would like yeah, yeah. yeah. with the logic or whatever. But, he said. Yeah, right. probability. And, but yeah. Uh, don't ever say that. Yeah, no. Uh-uh. But just then, the plane hits one of those whoopsie daisies and it's bad. <laughs> People are falling, luggage is spilling from the compartments. Everyone is panicked, but most of all, Valentine, who opens up his shade again <laughs> and stares in horror at the creature back on the wing. 
The passengers begin to pray. The scary sky marshal is crying and cuddling the dummy. Valentine stares in horror out of his window again as the creature continues to fuck with shit, sending sparks flying. I have to call out the editing, Mm. cinematography, and sound design. Yeah. Because the second they hit turbulence, I felt it in my belly. Yes. I was like, we're going down. (laughs) No, No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm sitting in my own. Yeah, I'm very comfortable. Valentine looks up to see the little girl staring at him. Thinking quickly, he snatches her Polaroid and takes a photo of the creature outside his window. He He ignores the little girl lecturing him about manners as he waits for the photo to develop. I was like, if this works, I'm going to be real pissed off. (laughs) I wanted it to work, but what we see... When the photo develops, it's only a reflection of Valentine in the window taking the photo. His scared face. Like, <laughs> it's like, got you now, you little bastard. It is so funny, dude. Well, it was a smart idea, but... It, it was, was, but there was no... That yeah, flash, there was no, no not fucking work. way. He didn't think of the flash. He didn't think of the flash. Always think of the flash. Always. A tank of oxygen rolls across the floor as the creature continues to smash the engine. When you just be like, look, 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 right now, look. <laughs> Dude, there are so many times I'm like, is nobody looking out <laughs> yeah. this side of the plane? I understand you're all going through your own shit, but I mean, right. he's out in the open. He is, yeah. Plus, you've heard him saying some shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my, oh, I would, yeah. one eye would be on that window oh, yeah. for the rest of the flight. Valentine grabs the tank of oxygen and starts fucking breaking his window with it. I'm like, do you not know what's going to happen if you do that? He's like, I need a photo. (laughs) Yeah, the window is... Jonah Jameson is on my ass. (laughs) (laughs) But the Sky Marshal snatches him away and tackles him into the aisle. Valentine grabs the gun on Sky Marshal's ankle holster. Remember I said it wasn't going to come up? It did. I got y'all. Oh, you tricked me. (laughs) And he immediately shoots the window. Pressure is sucked out of the cabin, along with Valentine, who's barely saved when the Sky Marshal grabs onto his legs. The other passengers hold on for dear life, and Junior Stewardess holds tight onto the young girl. All I could think of this part was on The Simpsons. Of course. (laughs) The bus. Yes. Freezing wind blasts Valentine in the face, causing ice to collect as he hangs out of the window. He shoots the creature, but it only pisses it off. It rushes to him, and it <laughs> did it take a bite out of that gun? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it, he was all wildfiring and shit. Yeah, he I was. was. Like, Man. He's hanging out of him. <laughs> I know, but I mean, at, wait, like, all right, come on, wait till yeah, he gets, get you the, know he's you're coming like, at pathetic. you. <laughs> yeah. Take a lap. The Kremlin's like, what you got? What you yeah. got? What you got? <laughs> <laughs> but he, yeah, he leaves him with just the handle. Yeah, it's obviously useless now. As the clouds part, Valentine and the creature look down to see that the plane is approaching the runway. The creature grabs onto Valentine's face for just a moment before letting go and giving him the uh, 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 finger. <laughs> That's a bit much. And the creature jumps away and flies off, disappearing into the sky. Yeah. Later, strapped to a gurney, Valentine dazedly says that that's how it happened and that he's basically a hero. He smiles as they load him into the ambulance. The co-pilot talks about how horrible the night was, and the old woman agrees, especially the part when he had the gun. The sky marshal's like, no, 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 he didn't have a gun. (laughs) It makes me laugh. He's like, no, he stole it from me. (laughs) That was my gun. Why is that any better for you? I don't have control of my weapon. Honestly, it's worse. Yeah. But he then diagnoses Valentine as a claustrophobic, choosing to smash the window and get out instead of staying inside. Junior stewardess asked if he was crazy and Dion says that he was scared, but she doesn't think he was crazy. 
The mechanics roll up to check everything out. One of them shines a flashlight and yells out, causing everyone to look. There's a smoking crater on the engine, complete with deep scratches on the plane itself. He's like, what exactly happened up there? <laughs> yeah, don't look so crazy now. Yeah. Uh, Might want to call that ambulance how, back. Right? How fucking like, scary would that, that is be? That is terrifying. Oh my God. I would just be glad that we landed at all. Yeah. yeah. I'm never getting on a plane again. Oh, no. Yeah. Too many uh, monsters in yeah. the sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the ambulance, Valentine looks delirious on his gurney as the siren blares. The driver switches off the siren and leans over to ask if Valentine would rather hear music. We see that he's the passenger from the Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Valentine agrees to music and Dan pushes in a tape playing the Midnight Special by CCR. He's like, I've had this stuck in my yeah. head all night. <laughs> you know what makes me laugh is that he killed albert brooks yeah and then and then he fixed his tape because <laughs> <laughs> it was broken like, i gotta shift it like <laughs> <laughs> i gotta go yeah valentine is happy saying that he loves credence leaning back and not at all looking at the road <laughs> dan says that valentine had a really big scare back there and valentine agrees with the grin dan asks you want to see something really scary we zoom in tight on Valentine's terrified face as the Twilight Zone theme plays and Rod Serling tells us, there's a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is a dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. So what did you guys think of Twilight Zone, the movie? I I still really enjoyed this movie. Mm -hmm. It's a fun movie. Uh, like we pointed out earlier, you know, some bad shit happened. You yes. know what I mean? Why making the movie and that sucks. And um, but I I like I said for me, these last two segments are the ones that stood out the most. Oh, for, for me. sure, for sure. Um, but I I would recommend anyone who hasn't seen it to watch it. I would agree with watching it. I my thing is the difficulty of separating. Yeah, it's that's, really hard, yeah. especially because the segment is still in the film. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of appalling. Honestly. Yeah, it's just surprising. I but if, I mean, if you can separate it in your brain and just watch the film, it's a pretty decent horror anthology. Yeah. I think that it is. Got to agree. The last two segments are where it's at. Yeah, it's just very hit or miss. Yeah, for me, and I am a little upset. You know, honestly about the entire situation with the first segment mm -hmm. because the idea is so good. Yeah. And for it to be m just marred by such a real life tragedy. Yeah. It's very, very it's upsetting. Hard. Yeah. Uh, I do also need to call out because they hadn't referenced the prologue at all until the very, very yeah. end. Yeah. So it's a pretty rickety bridge that they built yeah. <laughs> to, the, <laughs> to the prologue. But it was, I mean, how else are you going to end it? Really? I think it was the perfect way to end it. But um, I, I think that it's it's a fun watch for the most part, even though for me, it's not 100% up to snuff. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, I just really have a soft spot for anthologies, mm -hmm. especially in this era, because I know there's going to be some cheese. I know there's going to be some ridiculousness. I feel like it definitely ramps up. Yeah. Well, it kind of ramps and then it dips and then it ramps, 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 <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Ramps, um, ramps, 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 yeah. ramps. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. <laughs> but it's, uh, am I wrong? No, you're not no. wrong. Um, like we had said, I know John Paul doesn't fully agree, but I, I uh, kicked the can. 
uh, it uh. feels misplaced to me. I don't think it's a bad story. I feel like we're coming off of something very, very dramatic and with mm-hmm. such weight. A, I was going to say a yeah. heavy message. And then it's like, I get it. I just feel like because it still had that strange, yeah, yeah, you know, no, no, no. nature I, to it. Yeah, it was like, I get okay, that. it wasn't I've, the strongest, but I guess you can. And maybe I was distracted because I was just waiting for yeah, not, them to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> I love being young. That's not yeah, no. what, that's really not what I thought I was going to get from right. that one. But the last two, man, I yeah. really love, especially the last one, John Lithgow, mm-hmm. uh, the man can fucking act. Oh, yes. Um, and I love, I wish that we had had more of the frame story in between. Mm-hmm. But I really loved seeing Dan Aykroyd again at the end. Because you're like, fuck, yeah. when he turns around. But I was very excited. I just feel bad for Valentine because it's like, dude, you survived all that. Yeah. And now this dude's going to eat you. Yeah, but there's a, <laughs> there's another paramedic sitting next to Valentine. Oh, he's oh, getting eaten too. too. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was really weird. Um, yeah, that's that true. <laughs> like, I'm going to wait till he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> it's me and you, Valentine. <laughs> but um, overall, I think that it is a lot of fun. If you're like, oh, I really want to get scared tonight. This isn't the movie to put no. on. No. But for an 80s anthology with, I'm not going to say it's up to the standard of the Twilight Zone, but with the vibe, I think this is really good. I really like it. Even though it traumatized me as a child. <laughs> I hope this helped you work through it a little bit. Yeah, I feel a lot better about it. <laughs> hey, nay. Don't. <laughs> you son of you a bitch. Do <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> but I guess we can slide into ratings. Mm-hmm. I kind of went already, but I really like this. I feel like there is more good than bad. There is, uh, for me, the misplacement of Kick the Can. If you had to have it at all, you really should have opened with it, and maybe right. we would have had a false sense of security, and that would have made everything that come came after it seem scarier, okay. maybe, or darker, or whatever the themes were going mm. for. Um, the tragedy yeah. of the first story, the I'll say the audacity of John Landis afterwards. Yeah. It is, it's, it taints it. It does. Yeah. I hate that because so many more people worked on this film than just him. Mm-hmm. But, ugh, you know, it, it sours it a little bit. But for the film itself, I think that it's, it, it is a lot of fun. There is a little bit of cheese primarily in Joe Dante's segment. Yeah. <laughs> but it works somehow. Like, it, it's just, it's fun and it's weird. And it, to, end it with nightmare at 20,000 feet was perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that is definitely the finale. Oh yeah. It's funny because usually they'll start strong and, and end. end strong. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this, I, I maybe the flow of it is fucking with me a little right, bit. Right. But yeah, well we're in ratings now. So <laughs> <laughs> on a scale from one to 10 super sweet suppers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah, it was, it was not nutritious. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give Twilight Zone the movie 7.5 super sweet suppers. Obviously, this is not a perfect film. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really awful nightmarish shit that happened behind the scenes. But overall, I feel like if you're able to separate yourself from that and if you can just turn your brain off and throw this on, you're going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, it really had me from the beginning with them in the car. I love that a uh-huh. lot. I love the wraparound at the end. And I two out of four stories were really great to me. So um yeah, I'm I'm 
good with the 7.5 and I will now open up the floor. Um, yeah, like you said, I know we kind of already went through it, but I, I do enjoy this movie mm-hmm. as a kid. I used to love this shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't know anything about it. I was young. No, yeah. of course. Um, so when it would come on, uh, I would always want to watch it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even if it was halfway through, if I could just catch those last two, I was like, this is, yeah, th- this is what it is. <laughs> but for me, on a scale from one to ten, super sweet suppers. I also am gonna give really? Twilight Zone the movie a seven point five. Wow! I um, like I said, for me, a lot of it is nostalgia. Uh huh. Um, I watching it as an adult, I do still enjoy this movie, but then learning everything that happened, it's like God damn. Uh, but I, I, I. Like your sister said, if you can kind of just watch it for what it is, it's it, it is a good time. Mm-hmm. It's not the best and it's not the scariest. Yeah, it's not. But, but it's a it's a good movie to throw on and watch. I definitely agree with the fun aspect of it, mm-hmm. especially the last two segments. Right, mm-hmm. right. It's, it's funny because that shit with John Lithgow is really dark, but it's I'm laughing. Yeah, <laughs> I should. Oh, yeah. But it's just very I don't know. I enjoy it a lot. But uh Joe Dante, George Miller's segments are mm. kind of save the film. For sure. I do think that the idea of it is great and I would really like to see it sucks so bad that it's so tainted with everything that happened. Mm-hmm. You couldn't really come out with a new Twilight Zone movie that did something yeah. similar because it's if you have something Twilight Zone movie, everybody immediately of course goes to the tragedy that happened yeah. and it's just not, you know, cuz imagine if you get four of the hottest directors right oh. now my god you know and then they put together the segments that are really in line with the twilight zones themes yeah like that would be incredible jordan peele Uh uh-huh mike flanagan very good ari aster i'm here robert eggers all right tell me you wouldn't watch that i'd watch that all right (laughs) (laughs) i was ready for more pushback tell me you wouldn't watch it you you had ideas off the dome i wasn't (laughs) i didn't come prepared that's why i was like four directors uh rose glass (laughs) Karin Kazama. I love let's it. just name, let's just yeah. name yeah. directors. I can name directors too. <laughs> but I do want to call out the camera work, uh, Goldsmith's music and the production design. Fantastic. I think that, I think what makes Dante's and Miller's segment so good is because they take their remake idea, but they do something different with it. Yeah. Right. And they change it in a way that makes it uniquely theirs. Okay. I don't, I can't ask for anything more, but on the negatives, for me, so much of this does not feel like the Twilight Zone. And the majority of it is the, I don't know, I, I they're, the changing of stories, especially Kick the Can. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have the story end darkly and kind of tragically, you can lead into something. Yeah, that's, you know? the, that's the, yeah, it just feels like a, it's a sore thumb for me. It's like a feel good, like, but that's yeah. not really what the Twilight Zone's about. It's very cute. It's yeah. very Spielberg. I don't dislike it. It just, right. it, it just feels very strange. <laughs> right. I was like, okay. And for the anthology to be your idea, and you're like, I'm doing kick the can. Yeah. You're like, what, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. But obviously, everything that happened uh, also for me is a negative because it's like, the production that it, it it is it goes against it. No, of course. You know, and what you're supposed to do as a production, all my homies hate John Landis. <laughs> <laughs> and originality. I would have loved to have seen them do things that were in the spirit of the Twilight Zone without actually just remaking the Twilight Zone. 
Yeah. I think that would be really cool. Uh, but for me, out of 10 super sweet suppers, I am going to give Twilight Zone the movie 6.5 super sweet suppers out of 10. Because it is a fun time. And the last two segments are so much fun that they kind of make up for. Mm-hmm. For uh, sure. Especially sitting through the second yeah. one. Yeah. So you're done? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'll let you get back to writing your love letter to Steven Spielberg. Okay, now hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Twilight Zone the movie and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at Blood and Smoke, at RealStreeter84 and at TravisMWH. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, don't let yourself fall victim to hatred. Perspective is gained when you take a walk in someone else's shoes. Until next time. Hey, thanks for staying tuned. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like you yeah, the I'm bringing the energy. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing the heat. All right. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for staying tuned so we can shout out our Wendigo Getter patrons. Yes, yeah. thank you. That's the Twilight Zone theme. Right, right, right. <laughs> A special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Melanie Van Huston, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Mandy, Jennifer Perez, Pierre Lombard, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Andy Teague, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Linda, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Jonathan Booth, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, JD Rizak, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggie, William Barry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Garrett Rogers, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Michelle Moore, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexius Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Amanda Aliff, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos, Jessica Hunter, and Helen Rudder. Yeah. Where's my inhaler? (laughs) Thank you all so, so, so much. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. Yes, we appreciate it so much that you are truly the wind beneath our wings. (laughs) I guess it's better than being. Well, I was going to say you're the the creature on our wings. (laughs) But they were trying to, he was trying to kill them. (laughs) We're not down for that. No, we don't, we don't condone that. Until next time.